To episode 87 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We're using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at May 1988 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 37 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles chart that month. So Graham, what we got going on this week? In this warm and cosy soup of an episode, we grab our headphones for some sweet audio goodness and get ready to blast our way through a series of visually impressive caves in the somewhat punishing Cybernoid. Clamber and plod slowly around different time zones looking for a fight in the dreary Time Fighter, explore our scariest dreams and extensive hedgerows in the linguistically obtuse Frightmare, and put on our paper hats and shoes and head to the control room of an infamous RBMK nuclear power reactor just to check the void coefficients in the Chernobyl syndrome. As if that wasn't enough. You asked for more bat and ball games, I think, and so we smash our way through yet another breakout variant in the Revenge of Doe, Arkanoid 2. We also bang our heads on the shoot-em-up wall of difficulty yet again, this time in the bloody annoying Sabotage. More, did I hear you say? More top-down base relief shoot-em-ups? Okay. We also shoot and pinball? Yep, I said pinball our way through another boring base relief shmup in Bedlam before finally, and with a sense of glorious deja vu, grab our clothes, our boots and our cycles and head to the dirt racetracks in Professional BMX Simulator. May has arrived, and with it, a plate load of shit burgers. Nasty. Okay, that sounds all right. I hope. Some good stuff there. And Very also- exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> there's, there's also, and I know this for a fact, some prize egg of dog. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, there is. <laughs> Just, for there always, Just for a Just change. Just for a change. Just for a change. The dog has come along. I was going to say, there's a switch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no. But before we get into all that, we must, as it is the first uh, episode for the month of May, we must discuss the cover. Is there a lot yeah. to say about this? <laughs> well, I don't know that Ollie Frey was involved with that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he was. I don't think he... Well, if he was, then... I mean, that's the sort of thing he he must have... That's not him. It isn't. That's just a bad... I suppose it is what it is, but it's not what you call classically great, is it? It's Yeah, so just to describe what this is, obviously we've got um, Packland is the cover game. So you could have done anything. I mean, Packland lends itself to anything that Oliver Frey could have done, Mm. I imagine. But what we have is a crap 2D Pac-Man and some pink pills on a white background. Crap's the operative word, and that... For some the way the words giant size that. tip supplement. I could draw that. The words tip supplement there really are big. <laughs> but it's giant sized. So you know I, know. I get it, I get it. It's actually just <laughs> describing the size of the tip supplement in the magazine or the size of that statement. <laughs> it's just it's I mean that's a bit it is a big tips supplement, I guess. Yeah, there is. Just you, it's an odd odd cover that. You can also win a Tommy robot and a Sony Walkman sign of the time. Yeah. I I can't I can't envisage Ollie Frey. That's not one of his. I d- 
maybe he was off on holiday or something when they you know i don't know maybe don't know. There, must, there must be a reason why that he sticks out like a sore thumb on all the covers as well it does it's really crap it's not a very good one at all. They could have done anything with this, but it's really bad. I mean, it's, again, £1.25, $7.50 Deutschmarks, $3.50. Biggest selling Commodore magazine in Britain. Take that, Commodore snoozer, and your Commodore. Could the um, the prizes for their competition be any more 80s? Win a Tommy Robot and a Sony Walkman. I would have loved a Sony Walkman, though. I never had a Sony Walkman. I can't remember. I think mine was an Akai. Uh, I did end up with a Sony Walkman, actually. Later down the line, when I could afford one, yeah. but my original one was, I think, was an also an Akai, or a, I think it might have even been a, a Sanyo. Yeah, it was either an Akai or a Sanyo. Mine was, yeah, or a Tan- might have been Tandy's own brand, whatever that was. Do you remember Tandy? I do remember Tandy. Yes, I think it wasn't the first one. The second one I had had um, alternate play, so you didn't have to flip the tape over. Yeah, my my first one didn't have that. In fact, no, my first, first one didn't one even didn't, have rewind. No. Yeah, I'd play forward wind and eject open, and it had like a flap. Yeah, it was heavy. And it had oh, bright yeah. orange headphones, mini headphones. Yes. Well, they weren't mini headphones, but they were bright orange. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I borrowed my brother's uh, Walkman. I went into town with it, and um, I had it in my pocket and the headphones on. Someone went past on their bike really close, caught the headphone wire, and snapped it. So the plug oh. was still in the in the uh, Walkman, oh. and I just had a dangly bit of wire <laughs> hanging off. I was like, I had to go back and tell my brother, and he was not happy. No, but he uh, wasn't very pleased. Because it wasn't just like nipping down Asda and getting a fresh set of headphones for like five. No, no, <laughs> no, they wouldn't have been. That was that must have, they must have done that on purpose. You don't cycle past somebody that close and by accident I do don't that. Know. Do just kind of caught it and just kind of ripped. I was like, oh no, yeah, it's sabotage. going to kill me. Sabotage. Yeah, sabotage. We've got a game called Sabotage this week. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do indeed. Yes, yeah, so there's not much to say about the cover, is that it's not great. No, Pac-Man I think it's the Pac-Man worst sap cover ever, actually. I think, I think it stands out as the worst one. So it's I just not so. very good. And oddly enough, there's the crash cover for this month is actually really good. So I mean, it's not Packland either. So it's good. Is it not? So, okay. No, no, um, I could look at um, what was the because uh, I've got them downloaded. Download. Let me see if the because uh, each month I always look at uh, Commodore user and CVG. See if it, the Commodore user is not great. <laughs> it's it never was though. Crap. No, it's just un- it's it just- was never that good. No, let's not talk about that. No. <laughs> no. What about no. the CMVG one? Let me have a look at that. See if that was Commodore any good. Snoozer. Commodore Snoozer. <laughs> or as they when they, remember when they crashed oh, that Mickey take of crashed the Mickey take of Sinclair user and called it Unclear user. Yeah. <laughs> they got into a lot of trouble for that as well. I'm not surprised. That's the defamation. Defamation, well, yeah. man. Yeah. Anyway, you can't do that. There we go. Crap cover. Hopefully the games yeah, is uh, I think that's the what, first time we've ever said that about a zap cover as well. So it mm, is. All, we'll put, 87 episodes of this podcast we've never actually said that's a crap cover on zap what a what a strange thing to have to say there we go the times they are a changing uh, well only for this month was that a song i think it might be. right should we get some games yeah okay <laughs> right yes <laughs> <laughs> yes that, that's what we're here for <laughs> that's what we are here for let's let's uh toss that cover aside and let's get into some games Graham, you have the first one this week, and it is a sizzler. It is Cybernoid. Is it the ultimate fighting machine or the fighting machine or something, whatever it is? Yeah. Tell us about that. Something like that. This is from Houston, um, and it was coded by Nick Jones. So somebody could say at some point, I work for Nick Jones. (laughs) And they they would have been right as well. Um, Just get him his phone call. Um, The graphics are by Huge Bins. Actually, I've written Huge Bins. His name's Hugh Bins, but I've written Huge for some reason. Uh, But his name's Hugh Bins. He might have had Huge Bins. I don't know. Is it autocorrected to Huge? Yes, of course it has. Curse autocorrect and all it stands for. Um, Title screen for this was Stephen Robertson, or Sir 
to you and me. And the musician here is the mighty... Now, I, I can't... Ever since we've been corrected, I don't know how you say his name now. Jeroen. Jeroen. It's Jeroen Tell from the Maniacs of Noise. Yeah. In this particular instance, I think it is a Maniacs of Noise one as well. So this was 9.99 and it was 93% in old zap. So that's a pretty good score, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you the scenario from the instructions. And I'm actually going to, because the scenario that controls the gameplay, the display and the weapons mode are all kind of broken down in the instructions. So I'm, I'm actually going to sort of coagulate them into a coherency because there's not a lot of scenario to this, really. No. So the scenario is as follows. The Federation storage depots have been raided by pirates taking valuable minerals, jewels, ammunition, and the latest battle weaponry. You have been commissioned by the Federation to retrieve the cargo and return it to a storage depot within a specified time limit. Extra points and on extra ships will be awarded if you succeed. The pirate craft have activated all planetary defense systems, which you will now have to negotiate, as well as the pirates themselves. If you fail to reach the depot within the time limit or the value of your retrieved cargo is insufficient, you must forfeit one of your cybernoid ships. That's the scenario. The gameplay Mm -hmm. then... When a pirate craft has been destroyed, it will drop its cargo of stolen objects. Maneuver your ship over the object to retrieve it. Certain objects will alter the appearance of your ship. These objects offer external weaponry that can be utilized on difficult screens. Occasionally, when a pirate craft is destroyed, it will drop a yellow canister. This canister, when retrieved, will increase the amount of the currently selected weapon by one. Okay, all clear so far? Mm-hmm. There are a number of different weapons modes. I'm actually going to dive into a bit more about the game and, and talk about that, and then we'll go into the weapons as we come across them. So as I said, there's not a lot of scenario to this. So enter the punishing world of Cybernoid, or as, enter as a Cybernoid. You're, you are the, your ship is a Cybernoid, I believe. Okay. This is a flick screen shoot 'em up of sorts, where you control your Cybernoid ship through a series of single screen locations deep within the cargo depot. Each screen has enemies that will shoot at you, or challenges such as navigating through pipes, or both or combinations of things, or navigating just generally through stuff. The scenery does not kill you here, but everything else will kill, will kill you in a single touch, so you need to be at the extreme end of the joystick dexterity curve. Your cybernoid ship will succumb to gravity, and so you need to keep a steady hand on things as you fly around the screen, shooting at the baddies, collecting the stolen cargo they drop, looking to find the exit to the next screen. It's not really labelled as an exit, you just got to kind of make your way through the passageways i suppose is the best way i can describe it or make your way off the screen you enter shooting at the stuff and doing all that kind of thing you have a time limit of course as has already been said to get the stolen objects back and return them to the storage depot you have four lives in this game and you can get extra weapon upgrades from the enemy ships as you blow them up you just fly in as you fly into them um the things they drop your ship can and will change its appearance you can switch between these with keys one to five that switches between bombs impact mines defense shield bounce bombs and seekers and holding down the fire button will activate them since the Federation storage depot defences have been activated, there are a bunch of missiles, gun emplacements, as well as a whole load of other off-worldly plants that will all aim to cut your game short. Add to that a plethora of enemies that will plough it onto the screen, shooting and ha- shooting at you, which will give you your, you know, make your hands full. You'll have, you know, you'll be busy on this. Clever use of your different weapons is a complete must in this game, because if you lose a life, you lose your weapons. And my comment to that was, boo, don't like that. No. Nope. I don't like that. Nope. I don't like any shooting games that leave me underpowered at any point, really, on purpose, without the ability to repower. It's a stupid, stupid thing. It's a stupid thing. Anyway, you don't have a load of the weapons anyway, so you have to think tactically in this game, which is kind of difficult because it's not a tactics game. It's a shoot 'em up So you should just be able to collect things that upgrade your ship and shoot and blast away with them, not be worried about the countdown of the things that you have. I think that gives you an extra worry about something that's unnecessary in this, but I'll come back to all of that. And then as I've said, every now and again, an alien drops a canister, it will increase the, you know, the things that you have by a factor of one. It's not a massive increase, really, that one, is it? It's anyway. not, no. The main game window is the 
is kind of the play area, which is quite large in this, with a panel across the upper fifth of the screen containing some key information, such as number of ships remaining, your current score, the value of the cargo you have from your current level, current weapon mode, the amount of that weapon you have left, and the maximum number of that weapon you can hold. Because, of course, you can only have so many of these weapons at any time as well. Stupid, that. <laughs> um, and a minibar chart that indicates how much time you have. What happened to just a counter? Don't not, confuse, not. don't put chart mini, no, don't put <laughs> no pie charts, don't put bar charts, don't confuse matters, all right? Someone's, uh, someone's run this through the Excelometer. <laughs> they have, yeah. You know, don't, there's a reason you don't need to do that. You know, I know it looks kind of pretty, but, you know, just a countdown's fine. It works. I did wonder why the third screen was a pivot chart, but, you know, it was just me. <laughs> um, so that basically diminishes, I guess, in, in size of bar. Pivot table, sorry. Pivot table, what am I on about? <laughs> yeah, pivot table. yeah, well, anyway, on this, you've got a bar chart, and as it decreases in height, essentially, uh, it means you're running out of time. Gantt um, so yeah essentially yeah well no um, burn down sorry not Gantt yeah be a uh, yeah burn down yeah, if burn down if we're in agile yeah to finish the level you must a collect enough cargo to reach the value target and b not run out of time in doing so mm-hmm. and obviously that's the plan so there it is and there's a lot to like and there's some niggles with this game on the plus side the visuals for this are a sumptuous gallery of nicely drawn pixel-painted sprites and backgrounds that really work. Everything controls really well, and even with this gravity-type deal, the cybernoid is responsive and the weapons all accessible. The screenplay area is large, and there are no flickering sprites or bugs in what is clearly a stunningly engineered game. So much quality coding here, it's quite incredible. I think it's amongst one of the C64's best-looking shoot-em-ups in that way. Orally, Jeruntel, Jeruntel of the Maniacs of Noise is at the helm here, creating one of the absolute all-time Sid Classic tunes. With equally good interstitial and spot effects throughout, the soundtrack pumps along, the action is intense, and everything is crafted really well visually. Dorso is very difficult and challenging. There's a lot of stuff flying around the screen in this game. Lots shooting at you, and you can avoid some of it, but you very quickly will succumb. And then, of course, you encounter problem number one. If you've got upgrades, you lose them. Stupid. You cannot go back to the previous screen once you've made it through to this one, so you can't retreat, which is a bit stupid and a bit weird, mm-hmm. yeah, but you can't. Yeah. So it's always onwards, onwards and upwards, always onwards. But some of the screens adopt a more navigational challenge as opposed to a blasting one, needing to sneak between enemies in finely controlled situations, which is quite hard when you control it this way, can easily lead to death and frustration, which is a blocker here. Mm-hmm. In these levels, you can't destroy some of these enemies, so you are at the mercy of your own controls. And that feels like a bit of a cheap shot in a suit in a shoot up like this. I mean, there's nothing generally wrong with obstacles and hazards. Okay. And you can leverage your weapons to help you where appropriate in some instances, but you are quickly overwhelmed or dead repeatedly more often than on those screens specifically because they require deft movement and not shooting. Now, that might just be a gripe for me, but I found those screens uh, more annoying than anything else. They threw me out of the game world of this. Either be a shooter or don't be, but don't allow the destruction of some items, enemy items and not others just to suit a difficulty hazard because that throws you out of the game because when you hit those ones and there's this, you, you get the first one it's um, there's basically a there's a kind of a, a, a small it's a series of pipes the vertical pipes and you have to navigate your simonoid through them and there's like enemies going up and down up and down so you've got to time it sort of get, and time yourself in the gaps mm-hmm. and that's yep. fine and that's quite hard to do but you'll do it the first time you think okay I've done it hoping and praying that you're never going to encounter a more complex version of that because it took yeah. me a while to get through that uh-huh. As you work your way around, about three screens later, there's one with, I think, three or four of them on. Now, they're hard to navigate, 
because the timing is absolutely critical. And one hit from those aliens, which you can't blow up, you are dead. And that takes yeah. you back to the beginning of that screen. And it's just, you know, you, if you can't get through it, your game stops there at that moment. There shouldn't be a reason. And I couldn't find any of my special weapons that blew them up in there either. I don't know if, that's, if you found there was, there was any, but I didn't have any at this no, point to be able to um, do it. I use my shield. So Yeah. So, but like I said, I, but for you the first get time, one of them. <laughs> that's exactly what I was just about to say. So once you've <laughs> yeah. used that shield, and it doesn't yeah. last very long. So... No. So there are my niggles, really, with that. Is that I think this is if this had committed to being a shoot 'em up, and even with those sort of single that single screen logic, the fact that you can't retreat is a bit weird for a game like this. But okay, that's kind of the the root of it. All right, but then some of the enemy challenges are kind of strange. There's one in particular where you're just completely overwhelmed with enemies, and you just have to sort of blast your way through. Fine, but you're not really thinking tactically on those screens. You're just blasting away, and just fl- you just fly to the exit and shoot as fast as possible. It's kind of the eyeball mentality. Just get out of that screen as fast as you can. There's no point in hanging around. You, know, you might pick up a few extra weapons and stuff if you do hang around, but I can guarantee you there's one in particular where loads of the enemies are spawning in from the left-hand side. You start on the right-hand side of the screen. I think it might be screen three or four. You you start on the right-hand side to try and get to the left, and they're just continuously spawning in that mad way. And if you don't get past them in a very quick succession, and if you maybe if you use your shield, you will, but then you haven't got it for the screen after that. So then you rely on your timing. It's just the balance is wrong in this game. And that fundamental balance between having the right upgrades at the right time and being able to use them at the right time leaves you in situations where you cannot progress. And then also, then if you die, you're at the mercy of having none of those things anyway. That that makes this game really, really over difficult. And it's such a pity because I imagine there's some amazing things to see and experience here. But I had a great deal of difficulty getting through to screen four. Now, I don't know how many screens there are. There's multiple levels in this game. So you know, I, I can't imagine if they get much more difficult than that. I don't know how I would have survived it really without perhaps using a cheat. Now, I'm not going to use cheats for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So what does it all mean, all of that? Well, all in all, I thought this is a very colourful and dynamic game. There's loads moving around. There's not really any bugs that I could encounter that were, you know, as in programming bugs. There's some really good ideas in here, and most of them visually have been really well realised. There's such lovely colours on this game. I haven't seen such vibrant colours on a shooter in quite a while. It reminded me a little bit of Task 3 had that kind of colour scheme. Just attention to shading detail, some nice sprite design, nice background design. It kind of works. The idea that you don't die by touching the background, thank God you don't, because if you did, you, you, would, you wouldn't survive a second in this game. So, you, no, that, you at do. least there's that saving grace. I was blowing grace. up loads of times hitting the ceiling and stuff. I never, hit, I never died at all when I hit yeah, any I of the... You can't land or anything. I kept getting blown up. Oh, yeah, you can. Because when you go through the gaps in the things, you can stop and just wait in them. Oh, those things, yeah. But if you touch the ceilings and like parts of the level... I never... Maybe I didn't touch any of them, but I never died doing yeah, that. I never died did. by scenery. I died by alien... It. Yeah, the, the platforms and stuff you can generally land on, but the edges of the screen, you'll die. Yeah. Well, I know that some of the weapons will blow the big plant things up. For, but anyway, this is all moot, really. There are some screens in this that are too unforgiving... And when you get to them, you uh, it, it acts as a block at that point. So you're going to spend a lot of time trying to get past screen two, probably wasting a number of goes. Then when you finally get past that, you're going to get maybe through screen three, if you're lucky. By the time you get to number four, and then you've got to remember, so there's not these aren't really tactics to get through these. This is just, more often than not, it's just fly as quick as you can to get off that screen to the next one and maybe then think about tactics. But where you've got things where you've got to navigate a gravitational craft through up and between two objects that are traveling up and down in a very narrow space where you've got a tiny bit of space to do it, that is really hard to do. And to yep. do it once or twice, but to, I mean, this is like, it's like a super condensed flappy bird. And no, yeah, that was hard. <laughs> yeah. So I was disappointed by that. I had very fond memories of Cybernoid. And I think it's partly driven by the amazing music. I love the music to Cybernoid. I it's think it's genuinely, yeah. genuinely brilliant. 
and the graphics are beautiful to look at. They're really colourful. You know, I can imagine, I mean, I was looking at, looking at them on an ordinary modern monitor, so I didn't have the benefits of having the CRT blurry blend. But I imagine on a CRT monitor, they probably look quite nice and shaded at the edges, you know, where it gives it that blur. I imagine that's all pretty good. And like I said, all well realised, but this has got cheap design issues. This has got, this has demo coders written in there and the game designer was hired at the last minute to just throw in a couple of things. I didn't like the idea of a timer in there. I think I think either have a timer or have a value proposition. So have the value in there. You've got to collect as many of these things that equal this value and then get out. Or get out before the timer. But don't have both of those things. That reminded me of Dan Dare too. That had that problem. Pick a bloody peril and stick to one peril. Don't have too many perils in a game. It makes it too hard. When you're trying to navigate the nuances of the screen, fight all the aliens off, count and think about how many weapon upgrades you actually have left. And then you've got to worry about a clock and whether you picked up enough bloody value of the things you've got to pick up. That's too many perils for a shoot up. I just want to blow stuff up and maybe get out. I don't need all of the other complexity. made this game unnecessarily difficult. So I've always liked Cybernoid. It's a very accomplished C64 game in its design. Graphics and sound in full effect. But those cheap, cheap screen designs, that's a real niggle and it really ruined it for me. So I, I found this uh, found this game a, a, such a tragedy because I thought I had high hopes and they were all dashed. Really put me on a downer, it did. I think there was a game afterwards that was much better. Um, but what about you? <laughs> yeah, much better. Uh, so, uh, okay, that is a cool piece of music that greets you when this game loads up. It reminded me, when I listened to it as well, and the reason I probably liked it is it's, um, we don't get a lot of it. They seem to have gone in a different way, but this seems very kind of old school Galway-ish. Um, yeah. That kind of, in yeah. the, but you know, still original. It's use of filters and sounds. It's very wow, wow. And it's I a full imagine, piece as well. Well, it's yeah. long. And I it's, think it's really that's good. The other thing. Um, yeah, so it's it a is. cracking game. I mean, this was originally designed for the Spectrum by Raphael Checo, Checo, how he pronounced his name. Um, mm. So it's a conversion. Nick Jones did his other ones. Nick Jones. So if you think Exelon and you think Equinox, then this is a step along the same trajectory oh it's definitely definitely Exel- exelon especially right e- e- yeah, this yeah, is kind totally. of a cross between exelon and equinox yeah yeah um it's Exolox. kind of it's <laughs> exelox yeah it's cyber cyber laxative <laughs> Raphael Checo recommends need to go <laughs> <laughs> if you're having trouble and things are a bit blocked like you're carrying around a suitcase full of sand you need equilox yes oh adrian i feel really bloated and blocked equilox you need equilox <laughs> that'll unblock you <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> if you got a cork i can't stop i think i've just pooped out a rib <laughs> uh, let me get the cybernoid out um anyway so yes you're right the, it's it's a blaster puzzle isn't it so it's a weird combo the two this game yeah and they're pretty well designed don't get me wrong for the most part and mick jones has said he's converted this again he did excellent he did equinox and he's done a top-notch job. Um, you know, the conversion can't be faulted. He's taken, he's not just converted the Spectrum version. They've got in a really good graphics artist. This looks like a C64 game, not a not a Spectrum game. They've utilized everything that they can for the C64, and it worked, and it works really well in that respect. So visuals, music, because I listened to the Spectrum music as well, and I was like, <laughs> no, no, no. It's an no, okay no, piece, no, no. but it ain't this. Um, no. And the visuals don't look as nice. So this is, you know, this is a real, I don't know what the Amstrad version looks like, but it ain't going to sound as good, so, you know, whatever. And so it can't, it can't really be faulted. And the thing with this game is it's your extra weaponry in it because it's paramount here um, and you've yeah, got to learn. Yeah. And the thing is with this is it's learning the right way to approach each screen. It's the key way to progress. 
so like and like Exelon, it's another very hard game. The challenge level is very high throughout. But there are some, as you said, there's some good stuff about it. It's to be loaded for the amount of stuff moving around on screen. There's very little slowdown. There's loads of stuff. Once you know, you kick off the bouncing stuff and the amount of enemies to find. There's tons of them. Yeah, so it's it's good and, and in that respect as well. So it's a solid game. I can see why they gave it ninety three percent at the time. I'd imagine, yeah, they were well all over this. But I think like you I like my shooters to be more flowing than this. So I like a better flow to a game. I think this is very stop-start. So it's like Equinox yeah. and Exelon. So, and that is a downer, like exactly for the reasons you said. The segmented nature of each screen is not really my cup of tea. And that's what really stops me engaging with this kind of, these kind of games. So they're just like, oh, get to the next one, get to the next one. You never know what's coming next. So it's, I found it was a bit of a scramble at times to try and figure out the right weapon to have Whilst also avoiding, I found flying into the ground or walls would kill me. So they were kill- it was killing me. Um, you could fly into stuff in the level. So those barriers where they sort of moving up and down things were going, you could land on them and wait. But the ceiling and stuff was killing me. And I'm never a fan of that. Don't just don't kill me. Just stop me. Don't kill me. You know, just it's no re- no need for that. So- Sidearms did that, so don't do it. I can appreciate the technical artistry around this, but I was never a huge Cybernoid fan. It, sequels were never games that drew me in for long. I just found them too frustrating and punishing and, and a little bit boring after a while. Um, they just didn't feel like it. Did, the flow is all wrong. It's all stop-start, and that's not for me, I found. I mean, I got to seventh screen i think it was the seventh one i'm guessing you didn't get there because you would you would have no i i didn't get past the fourth one with the three or four up and down no there's two through so the there's, gaps yeah there's the two in there there's three there's three walls and there's two two levers of it and you got to get past that the next yeah, screen yeah. you get to is a shoot one but the one after that you've got the two so it's exactly the same so you've got the two you know the one you've got two sets of things moving up and down two gaps to get mm-hmm. through you've also got a series of aliens that move around the edge of the screen and through those pipes following around as well like a train oh, that you also can't kill no so it just adds more complexity to those puzzles those bits those stopping bits which are already really tricky and that's where that's where i got up to it it's like you know and i gave this quite a few goes it wasn't like i just down tools at the first first attempt but i just couldn't get any further and i was like you know what i'm just not enjoying this it's not it's not for me and i get it no not all games are for me but everything around the edges of this is great but it's that it's whether you get on with you know rafael checo's games he has a certain style that he likes to make, these flick screen, puzzly blaster type things. If you yeah, like them, yes. you're going to like this. If you don't, if you like your shooters, I think as both me and you do, with a bit more flow and a bit more fast pace and a bit more shooting to the action, then it is what it is. But it's a, it's neither one nor the other. It's not a puzzler nor a blaster. It sits in an awkward position in the middle, and that's probably why I didn't get on with it. I like puzzlers, because if you think, you know, something like Solomon's Key, you know, which is individual screen-based, trying to follow mm. out something, flicking around and trying to work out, these kind, yeah. the kind of levels are kind of similar to this, but it's a puzzle game, whereas yeah. I think Io, which although is too hard, but looks the same, but there's a traditional shooter somewhere in the middle sits cybernoid and i don't know it's just not for me oh well can't be for everyone can it uh, good music good music really good looking nicely programmed just lacking a bit in the uh in just what what we like in games i think but there you go yeah oh yeah that's it there's cybernoid that's that let's move on to our next one which is graham said i'm sure will be excellent <laughs> that next one is time fighter time fighter graham this is time mm. fighter i didn't actually know who who did this because i was so angered is angry a word it <laughs> is now it is. It interestingly is. do you remember what you said what you thought this might be when we talked about it in the last episode oh i did note down who this did sorry yes i did i thought this was going to be some kind of you know time pilot type thing didn't i no did you I? actually said i hope you said that's what we th- we thought it might be but you you initially said i hope it's a 
fighting game set across multiple time zones. <laughs> well, there you go. Once again, the monkey's paw curled up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You got what you wished for. <laughs> I got what I wished for, and but the monkey's paw gave it to me. That was, <laughs> that was <laughs> that's what happened here. Right, Time Fighter. So this podcast is sometimes a pleasure, throwing up some interesting or enjoyable games that we missed back when we were kids. Other times, it's like getting bleach poured into your eyes whilst a thousand monkeys bang cymbals at an inch behind your ears. This, unfortunately, is one of those times. This is yet another nightmare from CRL. I mean, I don't know what's going on here. I couldn't find any credits for this, and it comes as little surprise, as those that created this must have been imprisoned for the crimes they have wrought against humanity. (laughs) The plot, such as I can make out, sees you as some kind of temporal police officer, a time cop, one might say. (laughs) Always too much salt. (laughs) Yeah, don't taste the goulash, whatever you do. (laughs) Although the game labels you as a trans-temporal mercenary. Damn it. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's what Very different meaning these days, isn't it? I know. Seven periods of time have been invaded by hostile opponents, and it's your job to go and sort them out for some reason. These periods of time are the prehistoric, the Middle Ages, the Wild West, Prohibition Times, World War II, 1980s New York, and finally, the Space Age. Just, just it does seem counterproductive to invade at the time of the dinosaurs. <laughs> just say, I mean, it seems a bit, it seems like an odd thing to time period to just invade at that time. Or 1980s New York. And the space age is a bit broad. Just a bit. <laughs> like when? When? It's like the age of the train. When was that? I don't know. Um, when the game loads after a particularly frightful loading screen that made me go, ah! <laughs> yeah, that's so crap. <laughs> and then I looked at the game cover as well and did the same noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did the noise from Barbarian. Not Barbarian, sorry. I did the noise from um, Rastan. That was my noise. <laughs> 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 oh, what if I've wrought? <laughs> when the game loads. Yeah, okay, so we've got the title screen where six versions of our monocolored sprite from the game shoots arrows, runs, punches, jumps, whilst on top of six pillars. I thought there were seven worlds. It would behoove you to put seven pillars in, wouldn't it? Just don't ask why that's <laughs> yeah, missing. No, not six. The UI is already at the bottom, and we have our energy, our lives, our score, the high score, and the icons for the weapons that you will have in the various zones, which are rocks, hands they're not weapons i suppose they are in you know deadly weapons arrows gun hand grenades boots boots <laughs> chemist <laughs> boots that's not a weapon it's footwear it's clogs <laughs> loafers oh crocs yeah, he throws his shoes he throws a shoe <laughs> Ow. And and finally, lasers. Okay. All right. Pressing the space bar or fire button takes you into the game, and the horror of what has befallen you soon makes itself apparent. Starting in the prehistoric, prehistoric zone, your overly animated single-color sprite is soon set upon by yellow, similarly over-animated single-color sprites. You can run in a really horribly over-animated way, slowly punch, jump, and crouch, and I think the aim is to make it to the right of the left to right scroll. Sorry, left to right scrolling level. I don't know if my version was bugged, but pressing space allowed me to progress from level to level. And at that point, I couldn't die. But pressing space on the final level just took me back to the title screen. I have no idea. I tried about three or four different <laughs> versions. All did the same. I can only assume that it's not a bug. That's just how this game is built for reasons unbeknownst to anybody. None of this made any sense or felt in any way fun or enjoyable. There's none of that to be had here. Just a crushing realisation that you're wasting your life playing this turgid horror. Everything takes an age to do. You can't run and shoot. You have to stop and then wait for the overly animated firing of a bow or throwing a punch or shooting a gun to happen, in which time the enemies are upon you and have knocked you down. 
taking energy away from you in both the game and in real life. The sound in this game is non-existent and the graphics range from awful to overly animated and completely dysfunctional, as you cannot do what you're supposed to do as everything takes too long to do anything. The different time zones all follow the same principle, with enemies having similar weapons to you, and the maze-like platforms are a painful trudge to try and navigate. In the Prohibition era, people shoot from windows with such an near inaccuracy and speed that you're dead before you know it, and the only level with any kind of pleasure to be found is the last one, where it becomes a weird sort of reminded me of Jetpack Joyride because you just shoot yeah, along shooting yeah, stuff absolutely. so that, that was the only bit of enjoyment I got in this entire thing but it was quickly dead and forced back to the beginning and the, the, you know the pain of it all just got back to me oh the pain of it all so there's none of the enjoyment though it's just more pain for your eyes and your heart to endure <sighs> CRL are a royal roll of crap at the moment I never really rated them before but thought their games had something to them you know there was it's kind of middle of the road I was never hated CRL but now having played more and more of them the only thing they are full of is your hopes and dreams as these kind of games swallow them whole to leave you crying at your lost desires. This was awful. Another candidate for crappiest game of the year. That category is going to be very hard fought this year. This was awful. It got 12%. And this is another one. Just don't. Just don't give it a rating. There's no point. There's nothing to this. It's just awful on every level. It's unplayable. Did you try throwing a rock? It just goes up. <laughs> just, just goes up. even remind me of the horror of that. <laughs> so how did you find This was crap. So it's just rubbish. I'm not going to say much more about it. What did you think? It was rubbish. It was just rubbish. I mean, I think unfinished, unreleased, unreleasable, really rubbish. I mean, okay, the sprite animations are okay, I suppose, you know, because of what they are. They're kind of overly animated, as you say, but, you know, if you and slow. It's just so ploddy and slow, and it's all difficult because of that. Nothing pleasant about that. No sound, really, to speak of. The odd blip. I've never reached for so many men's characters Touches in my life in a game. It's just <laughs> this guy just he just perpetually trying to reach for people's lower nether regions and just I don't know what he just slapped them, tickled them. It took them down. But you have to you know, I've never it's just unpleasant. And they do it to you as well. So that first level of the game, you're just running around slapping each other's cocks, I think. And, and it's like, oh, 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 I'm thinking this is not how you take over the world I'm it's pretty not sure. what you do in prehistoric times so you know <laughs> but so then they start throwing rocks around you can throw rocks. what's the point what's the point now like you say I discovered the, you know, a press space bar I'm not sure what it was I was hoping I think it would change to a different weapon or throw I don't know but it just changed suddenly I was in another time zone I'm like oh okay uh, yeah. that seemed weird yes anyway so again but it's just more rubbish isn't it more of the same I didn't enjoy this there's nothing to enjoy I think this is one of the worst games we've played very, you know, recently. In fact, if not the worst one we've played so far in 1988, it's just rubbish. It's unfinished rubbish. Crap. 10 quid for this. 10 quid, just, yeah, I forgot to mention. Full price. Full I mean, price. that's ridiculous. CRL, come on. It's just, you're taking the mickey now. But we've said this before. These are becoming king of the exploit, you know, exploitation here for this. Yes, um, yeah, they are. They're just taking, just taking good money off good people and just ripping people off now. They, You cannot tell me that somebody said that that was a good thing to release for full price. I'm sorry, but it's just not possible. There's no QA process happening here. No, someone does a shit in a cup and they'll publish it as a game. And I think it's appalling. And this is a... Give it zeros, that. Be brave. Just and as a message to them to say, stop releasing this full price crap because it's offensive to people. You know, good people pay good money for that. Now, unknowingly, you're duping people. It's not nice. It's not nice no. at all. So no, I, I absolutely hated this. And I also hate what it stands for, which is a, a, a horrible black mark in the games industry of the 80s, where I'm starting to see a real black pit of nastiness around publishing games that are knowingly broken, knowingly shit, and ripping people off. I don't like what I'm seeing there. And this isn't, you know, this is gradually increased over time with CRL. They're not alone by any stretch of the imagination, but they 
are the vanguard of the shittest series of games we've yet played across multiple different episodes. Not good. Yeah. Not good at all. Yeah, full price. Dog pull egg. your socks up, CRL. Go back in time and pull your finger out. It all started so well for CRL, didn't it? Because they, um, yep. <laughs> yeah, pull your finger out. Um, with uh, Tau Seti, wasn't it? I think was one of their yeah, first. Exactly. Well, all the good coders clearly abandoned them and they were left with whoever created this. You know, they were suckered in, somebody was suckered in by animated sprites going, wow, that looks amazing. And it's going to look like that in the game. Yeah, what is the game? I <laughs> don't you worry about the technicalities <laughs> of that game. It's time fighting. That's what it's Absolutely. all about. It's, you know, it's firing bow and arrows and shooting no. Prohibition era. Just shouts, somebody's pod the wall pulled over the rise. But unfortunately, you know, luckily I didn't buy that game. I'd have been horrified if I'd have even been given that as a present. I'd have been telling them to take it back. Yeah, I would have hit the person with it. Yeah, it's not nice. So rubbish, utter rubbish, utter, utter, utter rubbish. Let us waste no more time on the time fighter and let's move along, shall we? I think we should. Let's get out of that mess. Yes. Graham, ooh, it's time to be scared. We've just had Halloween. Ooh, tell us all about Frightmare. <laughs> the first scary thing about this is the score that it got in Zap. 33%. Might be a bit high, that. 10 yeah. quid, this. This is from Cascade. Um, it was produced by Floppy. Pretty sure that's son of Floppy, but uh, not sure. <laughs> Coded by Mike Mannion. Graphics, Ron Ashley. Title screen was John Cassell's. Design was Ron Ashley. The music here is Jerome or Hiroon, however you say this bloody stuff. Um, Kimmel. Now, we've come across them before. I don't mm. remember hearing any memorable music in it, but anyway. Yeah, there's a good nice to remember. title screen. It'll be good if it's Jerome Red Kimmel because he's a good musician, he is. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to read you off the instructions because, you know, I like to do that where we have them, if they have them. So, And actually, these ones are reasonably explanatory for what we're about to do. So it says, a night to remember. In Frightmare, the longer you dream, the worse it gets. I would substitute the longer you play, the worse it gets. But never mind yes. That. There are seven dream states, each more surreal and horrifyingly terrible than the last. You're not wrong, but probably not in the way you think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Face them all with courage, and eight hours and 12 minutes after the witching hour, you may again awaken to the safe light of day. Um, by the power of will, you may acquire artifacts of good to your aid. Sorry, of artifacts of good to aid your struggle, but use them sparingly because reality is forever denied those who fritter them away. You have to excuse the stupid language in these instructions, by the way. <laughs> if you must awaken before the frightmare is complete, fear not. It's not a complete failure of nerve. You'll be judged by the extent of the terror you have met. It's a clever way of saying it doesn't end. Nah. Which, apart from anything else, it, no, no, not. Anyway, there are two goals in Frightmare. Wake up from your nightmare. You accomplish this by advancing the alarm clock from midnight to 8, 12, 12 minutes past 8. Why that? <laughs> Why not just what? 8 o'clock? <laughs> We're just dead specific. 12 minutes past, all right, 12 minutes past 8, but okay, just weird. Oh, well, maybe. Could maybe. be something to do with it. Add six minutes for every time you visit a new dream room, so. I was wondering whether it was because uh, he's got to get up at half past eight and he likes a couple of snoozes and the snooze is nine <laughs> minutes. I suspect it's due to the number of screens and the amount of minutes that each one adds, which is six. Uh, I don't know what do it is. That. Anyway. Or the other way you can, uh, the other goal of Frightmare is to reach the highest dream state you can. You accomplish this by scoring dream points. Yes. Finally, dream points. <laughs> 
Which means shooting monsters, picking up chalices, and successfully using objects and weapons in your inventory in ways that you can't understand, won't understand, and never find. Um, But dream points aren't recorded by numbers. (laughs) It'd be too simple, wouldn't it? They're reflected in the colour and... Yeah, bar bar charts, pie chart. They're reflected in the colour and type of dream state that appears at the top of the screen. In other words, we've substituted a numeric score which would make sense, to an arbitrary series of verbs and nouns, which makes no sense whatsoever. No. Um, as you score points in any dream state, the colour of the two-word dream state changes from left to right. When both words change, you progress to the next highest state. Are we all clear on that, everyone? Can't we just go from one to two to three? No. We're using my dream state. Quality and type of dream, thanks. Each dream state has two words. One is a noun, such as nightmare, which defines the dream, and the other is an adjective, such as terrible, which describes its quality. <laughs> They're not wrong. <laughs> oh, not wrong. All of these apply to this game in general, by the way. This is the Ron Seal game. <laughs> Just say, say what it says on the screen. Uh, it says exactly. Terrible nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So each one of these can apply to the review of this game. For each of the seven dream states, there are 15 adjectives which move from mild to the extreme. They don't use the words mild or extreme, by the way. Just want to be clear on that. So the quality words, just so you know, are bad, shadowy, cruel, nasty, perilous, horrible, terrible, fearful, monstrous, deathly morbid, wicked, evil, and nefarious. With the type of dream, the adjective being dream, vision, trance, fantasy, illusion, nightmare, and frightmare. So if you get to a terribly nefarious frightmare, you've reached the top of the tree, I think. I think that's how it works. Who knows? It makes no sense. No, it just, uh, no it just, I don't know why I'm really describing it because anyway, your dream foes and the weapons to fight them are at the top of the top at the bottom left of the screen is your inventory of weapons and talismans you can use to do battle against your dream foes. Brilliant. To acquire the tools, touch them. Okay. <laughs> just touch them. <laughs> to use them, press the fire button. That activates the device on the far right. I tried that in a B and Q once. <laughs> I got thrown out <laughs> for shoplifting. Exactly. I've yeah, acquired do this, I've touched it. Pull the joystick down to rotate the others into firing position. By the way, this is the stupidest controls. A new weapon is stored in the left-hand position of the inventory, and if the inventory is full, the new weapon will replace the one on screen. In other words, if you run over something and you've already got it, it switches out. Mm -hmm. The things that you have here are holy water, which you can use uh, only once, but it puts the kibosh, these are their words, on all disembodied hand skulls, spiders' hoods. A disembodied hood. Uh, Ghosts, (laughs) medusas, smilers, bats, and sun gods. Powerful stuff. Right? Mm. A watch, which slows down all monsters while you make your escape. It can only be used once. A crucifix, another one-timer. That's, these are their words. Temporarily freezes these guys in their tracks. Zombies, Satans, Will-o'-the-Wisps, Werewolves, and Serpents. Multiple Satans. <laughs> yeah, it says Satans as well. That's this is straight from the instruction. <laughs> There's honestly. only one Satan. I know. Don't just... <laughs> Honestly, you'll, you'll find yourself in a horribly evil nightmare. Don't in this. Packs, it could, of, packs of three. <laughs> look, don't make me force you into a nasty, morbid fantasy. <laughs> Not again, anyway. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Last time you did that, I was in a terrible <laughs> week. <laughs> you also have standard issue revolvers and bullets. Collect each of these separately. You can hold up to 20 bullets at a time. If you pick up a second standard issue revolver, the fire rate is doubled. Okay. The following freaks don't like bullets. Hands, skulls, spiders... Hoods, ghosts, medusas, smilers, bats, sun gods, mummies, and swamp things. Uh, All take one direct hit to extinguish, except for swamp things, who take six, 
and mummies that take 12. Mm. Stupid. Silver revolvers and silver bullets. By the way, you can't tell the difference in the game. Nope, because everything's one colour. <laughs> yep. Uh, so it's just the equivalent of playing a snooker game in black and white on TV, isn't it? So he's going for the one that's tight behind the red. Um, only one, <laughs> grey. Only one silver it's revolver gray exists anyway. the gray. It's gone the grey. It's gone for the grey. <laughs> Is that the black? No, that's the grey. Um, <laughs> Um, it's only there's only one silver revolver anyway. It says perhaps this is it's honest to God. This is what's in the instructions. Perhaps misplaced by the Lone Ranger. Just don't put stupid shit in your instructions. <laughs> Just don't don't write that. When you when you thought about writing that sentence, think don't write it at the same time. Think That's once, think twice, think don't Just think don't don't bike. involve the Lone Ranger in your <laughs> crazy fantasies. All of the typical monsters can be killed by this special weapon, but if you're using a gun, these three must be stopped by silver zombies, werewolves, and satans. Oh God. <laughs> the Grim Reaper. Why are they not there are demons? <laughs> there are some creatures in your Frightmare which no weapon can eliminate, like the Grim Reaper. Just make sure you don't touch him. That's good advice, generally speaking, for <laughs> yeah. Grim Reapers of all kinds. Wings. And I'm assuming they don't mean um, the band. Paul McCartney. Yeah, the band <laughs> wings. If you like to jump like Michael Jordan, use these. These are used as soon as they are touched. That's the most inconvenient thing ever, ever devised in the game. <laughs> A jump system that only works when you touch it so you can't use it where you want you can only use it where they've put it which is never actually where you need it stupid is the word for that <laughs> rings uh these give you additional lives up to five can be stored in the lives inventory at the bottom of the screen so you can have five lives no okay. that's the it's, that's the life inventory i think you'll find <laughs> chalices if you want to boost your dream state at the top of the screen pick these up so that's what to boost your dream state that's what you pick up the chalices they're all over the place transporters a magical transportation device which transports you to another transporter on another screen all right i got that from the word transporter um, yeah so it says for quick getaways it doesn't it transports you to the most impossible screens on the game and you die <laughs> yeah. very quickly yep it's the most inconvenient method of transportation <laughs> so and it's not safe to do that no okay. it's a cruel nightmare so that, that i mean that's all off the instructions i'm not going to go through any more of them this, this this is a weird platform game throwback think think crap manic minor really think that sort of thing sort of um you need to wake from your nightmare and get to the best dream state right okay whatever okay the game is played out on a flick screen platform type deal each screen has a bunch of enemies in usually in some kind of pattern in sort of on the screen in some way and you've got to navigate your way around them collecting the various items and maneuvering your way onto the next screen through the little holes that tend to be in the bottom corners and things uh-huh you control your play with a joystick with directions um, and up for jump. So the directions on the joystick, up for jump, down to select weapon. <laughs> to navigate, you can hop up and across and down the platforms. And here you will find the various things you can pick up. You can't hold everything. So you need to think about what you need to pick up and where it goes. You have a clue from the instructions where that is. And there's no give visual clues really on the screen either. But you just no. really. So it's a puzzle platformer, I suppose, really, and not a very enjoyable one. This did look a lot better on the Spectrum because I had a quick look to the Spectrum version. The game here is bitty with some, I suppose, well-realized high-risk sprites kind of thrown around the screen. Think of a multi-screen Homer's webpage of level design and you'd not be far wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Most things will kill you and it's often hard to avoid things in this game. So you'll kind of scramble around, falling and jumping between screens and shooting about, but it feels like it's not ready for any purpose. Yeah, sure, you can get an extra six minutes added for each screen, and the dream nouns will announce the kind of dream you're experiencing, but it doesn't really seem to link to anything. And it, it certainly doesn't feel like you're progressing in the game and what you are doing. So none of it really adds together to feel coherent. The elements are meant to be like a horror nightmare type deal, I think. And in a, it's a million miles from that. It doesn't feel scary or anything. There's no frightmare quality to this. 
So it feels more like a random collection of horror sprites that have just escaped from something, and they were. That's this is where they've hidden. It's the equivalent of an animated. It's, this is the equivalent of an animated horror dingbat typeface in a game. Um, there are some <laughs> nice bits, I suppose, nice bits of bobs, maybe, but it's all let down with an incoherent and somewhat confused premise and playability. Ten pounds for this is the real nightmare. What about you? Yeah, yeah, it's got a nice front end, good logo. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. The, the, the piece of music by Jerome, Jerome Kimmel, Jerome Kimmel, is actually really good. I sat listening to that quite a while. It's got yeah, a nice, yeah. nice mm-hmm. ambient uh, feel to it. It's got a nice mood. Not a lot doing that sort of thing. And it, I was thinking, mm, okay, it's about it though, isn't it? Game itself is a strange <laughs> platformer. Single color sprites yeah. floating around that have to be shot as you move from screen to screen. Although it's quite fast, it's all rather aimless. There's too many enemies just moving about, and nothing seems to make sense. I get it's trying to be some weird dreamlike thing, but it's a game. It doesn't work. It's just an annoying platform with Spectrum-esque style visuals. Yes, and there's no excitement to be had anywhere within this dream world. It all seems floaty, nope. pointless, bland, and dull. I know. And do you think that for someone dreaming, even a nightmare, there was a lot of hedgerows to climb? I don't remember <laughs> dreaming about so many hedgerows. It just seems like I was climbing hedges a lot. I'm like, that is a nightmare for some people, I imagine. But it's, not, it's never a dream Absolutely. or a nightmare I've ever had myself. Especially if they're not, you know, Tapiri uh, enthusiasts would have a right, um, you know, if they were all sort of bushy and not, not, not well trimmed yes. and stuff. Yeah, no one likes to have nightmares <laughs> about untrimmed bushes. <laughs> No, they do not. That's going to scare loads of people. Very, but yes, the fright there, all right. <laughs> it is. It's not very good. Thirty-three no. percent. Yeah, you know that's a, a third good. That's <laughs> pushing it a bit, isn't it? Yeah, it's two thirds asshole. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, it's it it writes its own review in the words on screen. You know, terrible nightmare, (laughs) horrible, turgid horribleness, whatever it says. Like, just pick any of them, and they they apply to this badly controlled shite. (laughs) Hey, cursed dream, strange dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's rubbish. And the jumping and the, and the weirdness of the fact, you know, to get some points, you have to do sort of do that jump where you have to kind of be go across the side, top of the, you go, you got to push yourself up and you sort of yeah, scoot across yeah. the, you know, you're pushing up against the top of the level. I just didn't like it. It's just not very good. And, I, and I, I've, I've very soon got bored of this and just turned it off. Crapness, Frightmare, 9.95. Lots of heavy advertising they did for that Frightmare. There was loads. They did. Yeah, I've, seen, was good. I've seen loads. Imagine if yeah, you spent, tw- imagine if that month you'd gone out and you'd spent 20 quid on Time Fighter and Frightmare. God, you, the next thing you would be having one of those buddy <laughs> off experiences, wouldn't you? You'd be having a shadowy, monstrous tr- turd. <laughs> really would. Awfulness, awful. Oh, we go. We've got one more game before we hit singles. So let's move on to that one. And this one is another full pricer, $9.99. It's got 68%. This is the Chernobyl, or just Chernobyl, the Chernobyl Syndrome. Chernobyl Syndrome. Okay. When this game loads, that's some Paul Norman ask music right from the off, isn't it? There's no mistake yeah, in that. It's like yeah. Forbidden Forest Chernobyl edition, or Chernobyl. I don't know how to pronounce it. And I'll be honest, it's probably the most excitement you're likely to find in this game simulator yeah. thing. Anyway, anyway. The title of this is based on the explosion at Chernobyl of the number four reactor in the nuclear power plant that was based near the city of Pripyat in 1986. I'm just going to go into some horrible facts. This was the worst nuclear accident the world had ever seen up to that point, and along with the accident of Fukushima when the tsunami hit Japan in 2011, is the only accident rated at a seven, which is the highest and most severe on the international nuclear event scale. What is to be on? Yeah, what is the international nuclear event scale? I hear you ask. Well, it is the pyramid of. Absolute nightmare. <laughs> That's what it is. With the lowest yeah, levels, because the level lowest level zero is called deviation, where everything's kind of okay. 
you go up through anomaly, incident, serious act, serious incident, accident with local consequences, accident with wider consequences, serious accident, and finally level seven, which is just labeled major accident. Kind of downplaying it a little bit, isn't it? Like, you know, entire yeah. meltdown, <laughs> major accident. Yeah. Major accident yeah. is like a 10-car pileup on a motorway. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. I think I think they're underplaying it a little. Yeah, that's what I mean. Wind scale in the UK in 1957, which led to 100 to 240 cancer deaths, and the incident at Three Mile Island in 1979 in the US, which was only a partial meltdown, were only classed as level five. So that was a accident with wider consequences, not quite a serious accident. So they only got level five. <laughs> this one was a seven. All of this is scary stuff, and there have been more incidents and accidents that I, than I was aware of before. Re- you know, the, after reading that page, that Wiccan, it's a list of them all. I'm like, good lord, this ain't good. There's only one level six, no. um, but two level sevens. That's the Fukushima one and Chernobyl. Scary stuff. So you know. It made me sleep easier, put it that way. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Well, it would do, yeah. It does. <laughs> uh, uh, that's what I did afterwards. Anyway, despite what the current of this game promises, with a soldier being blown up by a nuclear explosion behind them, it's kind of way over the top. This is a, essentially, this is a simulation of running a nuclear power plant and all that that entails. When the game loads, you're asked your name and time, and luckily the version we were playing had been cracked, so we went straight through the security pro- protocols, and in no time, I was at the heart of the control room, and I was responsible for staving off threat level seven. I guess, for as long as I could. The game itself is based around a series of screens um, that give you various information about the plant itself. So it's, it's a single-screen game, this. You, there's no scrolling, there's no movement, there's just one single screen. The top part has various messages that appear, letting you know the status of the pumps, boiler levels, pressure levels, things like that. So low pressure level in tank two, the boiler level in thing three is high, blah, 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 things like this. It's just scrolling along at the top. The bottom of the screen is where you type in commands to view different parts of the plant or the reactor. And we found, we'll post actually, we'll post a link to the instructions for this because you need the instructions. (laughs) Oh God, you need the instructions. If you thought typing three-letter codes into a flyer, a Super Huey helicopter was complicated to Paul Norman's, you know, one of Paul Norman's games. This is a whole level beyond that. You need all the instructions. So we'll post a link if you fancy going to play this. So go check them out. So the middle of the screen is kind of a graphical representation of the part of the plant you're looking at or maybe some just some, some some sort of information panels or things like that. You can look at the floor panel. You can look at the alarms, the rods, the core, and the enunciators, which I didn't quite understand, but um, which are all elements of the reactor and the plant itself through entering commands and reacting to the messages that appear. Your job is simply to keep the plant running within normal safe parameters and try to stave off another meltdown happening. The visuals are very simple to this and are what I'd call functional at best, being the kind of thing you would expect to see on screens if you were in a control panel. They they do their job. If they're simulating what it's trying to simulate, they do their job, but they're not what you call interesting or you know they're never going to blow your head off all the lights are just represented by a circle and a number the rods are just vertical rectangles kind of thing there's nothing fancy to any of this so if you were looking on those kind of you know if you've if you've watched the um the uh, the chernobyl five-part doc you know um, drama series you know you imagine you think of those screens that they had this is kind of similar to that it's kind of the readouts you would have in those kind of places back then so it's not going for graphical finery there's not like some really cool animations of the core going around or there is a sort of representation of that but it's it's going for that functional realistic kind of look and so i guess in that way it kind of works the sound there's just um there's nothing fancy as i said the sound is just there it's like a low hum 
just the, the the reactor wearing away in the background, I guess, and that's all. There's some you can you can sound the alarm if you want, which I did, which was annoying, but you know didn't last very long. And I guess this is kind of like to a degree, this is what you call edutainment because you're learning how a reactor works. They go into great detail, you know, about about the whole thing about how a reactor works. Like the core is made up of uranium rods that are used to generate heat, but also generate massive amounts of radiation. So to control this, graphite rods are lowered into the core to absorb the radiation. The heat is absorbed by high-pressure water cooling systems, and this then creates steam, which powers the turbines and generates electricity, and that's how it all works. And that's, you learn all this from doing this. I didn't really know how a nuclear reactor worked and never really looked at it. But this can teach you that sort of stuff. So in that respect, yeah, this is kind of interesting. But I sat here writing this review and I just had the game playing on the other screen and, and nothing really happened. You know, I started everything up. Nothing was really happened. I went back to it every now and then, looked at a different screen, tried to start a thing. I don't know if I was doing the right thing at all. It got it going, whatever. Uh, I had a copy of the manual, I said. But it's it's what the manual is lacking in, though, is getting you into the game or simulation or whatever. But, so it needed a sort of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. There's a kind of, it tells you what to do, but doesn't tell you the commands to enter. And it kind of needed that just to ease you in. And that's missing, I felt, from the manual. Whether you got something, whether you managed to get past that, I don't know. But I found it was a bit tricky because the feedback in the game is very minimal. A lot of the time, it'll just say unauthorized or okay. And you're like, well, have you done something? Has yeah. something changed? So the feedback you get from stuff is quite, and you're kind of looking at the manual, it says, oh, type this in to like change this. So I was typing stuff in, and it was like, no, unauthorized. I was like, oh, what? A, I'm typing it straight as it is in the manual. So I don't know if there's some kind of mismatch between the manual and the the game itself, but it's tricky to get through. So my problem was that my interest in it waned long before I got invested in it and anything really interesting happened. It's possibly a very thorough simulation of running a power plant, but it feels like it's a job. It's more of a job this than a game. I have a job. I play games for escapism, not to just sit and watch very little happen for quite some time. This could have been made more interesting with scenarios. And I guess that they didn't want to, maybe I get it that they didn't want to do this kind of, oh no, you've got seven minutes before it's in Three Mile Island or whatever. But eh, it's a game. At the end of the day, it is a game. You know, nuclear, sorry, Theatre Europe didn't stray away from, you know, nuclear devastation at the end of it. It was like, well, that's part of what's going to happen. So if you don't do it right. So this could have been made interesting with some scenarios where different things had gone wrong and you're up against a time trying to figure it out and bring it back under control. That would have been interesting. I would have enjoyed that. You kind of, that sort of stuff, but there's none of that here. So with, you know, with those kind of options could have been more engaging as it is. This game is predicated on everything going smoothly with little excitement or tension to keep the player interested. So for that reason, I just, you know, I soon became kind of bored of it. I don't want to, if my job was to run a nuclear power plant, that would be my job. I don't want that job though. If you think about something similar, which was um, Kennedy Air Approach, or whatever it was called, the, you know, where you were the uh, air traffic controller. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's a similar sort of high pressure situation, but that gamified it a bit and changed it and there was pressure and there was, you know, there was lots of things going on and stuff like that. This is rudimentary, just sat there watching some dials and stuff. And it may be really accurate, but it's really pretty dull when it came down to it. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you got any more out of it than I did, but I didn't get much from it apart from learning some horrible facts about nuclear meltdowns. What about you? Well, I mean, a simulator's go. I think this is possibly one of the most intense, but not necessarily for the reasons you might think. I mean, I had really no clue what I was doing. And the 16-page instruction manual, which is absolutely fascinating reading, doesn't really give a lot away. And that's because the idea of this is just to kind of monitor a nuclear power station. Yeah. And very little actually goes wrong in them. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. know Chernob- Chernobyl is a, a terrible, devastating incident, but there's a reason why there's only been two numbers category sevens, because they don't very often go wrong. And they have lots of shutdown procedures 
what horrified me a little bit is this is the instruction to make for quite intense reading because mm. obviously they're they're about the physics of nuclear power generation which is interesting but bear in mind that back in the time this came out this was all com- you know this was a little bit cloak and dagger it wasn't we, i mean everyone knew that we had power nuclear power stations but someone had said how do they work i think everybody would have gone i don't know actually they just kind of do i know that they generate power from turbines but reading through that instruction manual you think does there are so many factors that can go wrong at any single point that it's yeah. a miracle that there hasn't been another 50 of those numbers category sevens just reading it alone i'm like goodness me so that scared the bejesus out of you reading it you're like you know i don't want there to be an incident when i'm playing this game because quite honestly it's it's so deadpan realistic in the sense that it is just visual displays they do look a bit like old sort of Windows 95, you know, uh, DOS-based yeah. you know, VDU displays. That's what they're on purpose. They look exactly like that. So I don't really know what the purpose of this really was. But I do know that for me, this had a lot more meaning and validity because I've watched the Chernobyl TV series. That series. Yes, absolutely, yeah. So hindsight gave me the ability to have an insight into the whole incident at Chernobyl, which made this feel even more hopeless and, and a bit, you know, because you're looking at this thinking, you know, they've simulated this on a C64 with probably reasonable accuracy. The only difference is that, you know, I haven't got a, and they, and they make a big deal in the manual about saying the reason they have people there is because they can't rely on a, you know, machine interpretation of problems. They have to have a human to make a decision because they work on a kind of a, a estimated average of probability and computers will often decide that something is a thing when it's a human can say, actually, it's not that. That's mad. That's mad that the an entire nuclear explosion, a controlled nuclear explosion is predicated, as you say, on somebody sat there going, nah, it's all right, don't worry about that. And I was like, that's, yeah. that's actually terrifying. Yep. Now, obviously, we've moved technology on a million times by then, but nuclear power generation hasn't changed. They set off a cataclysmic explosion and then control it by various means as best they can with the hope that any one of those million little valves and little devices and the rods that they stick in and out, you know, don't add up to something disastrous. You know, they keep the, the averages that it probably won't. It's a probability exercise. I found that fascinating and terrifying. And this is a probability simulator. However, the problem there is, of course, is that this doesn't simulate any of the likable probabilities of disaster because that would be horrific to play. You would put someone through needless pain. So nothing happens in this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just watch, you're just watching a nuclear power station. You could go and do that without buying this. You could just go, you know, drive near one and just sit there in your car and look out the window, look at it, go, there you go. It's not exploding. So it's all good. <laughs> um, so I suppose what this quickly confirmed to me is, is really is one, how scary a nuclear power station actually must be to work in. Cause I was kind of scared, even though it was a simulator, I felt, it felt weird having watched those people basically turned to human soup in Chernobyl, the TV series, thinking mm. people made real life decisions on these kind of systems and things went so badly wrong that people got turned into soup. And that's horrible. That was horrible. So that, that was that kind of, that kind of tinged it for me a bit. This is a unique experience. There's no denying that. And it's crazy insight. And it's not something that you'd buy. I don't get who would buy it. I don't know who the market for this is. Morbidly fascinated people who have horrors of nuclear accidents maybe would find it interesting. I don't know. I read a really interesting article, which I'll post in the show notes, that was posted and written after the Chernobyl TV series and considered that this C64 simulation, because it's kind of unique. There's not many of them like this. Is it not? It might even be the only one. No, no. That this was one of the most boring games ever created on the C64. Because as it turns out, and there's a discussion with, I think not the designer, because that's what's his name, but I think there's a discussion about it generally, and I'll post the link to it. But it turns out that you nothing actually happens in this game. So, you, you know, you, you, it's designed, not there isn't an incident. So that incident you're looking for never happens. 
Oh, right. Just, okay. So because it's not designed, it's not designed because there's so many systems in place to make sure it doesn't, that what you're simulating is an actual nuclear power plant that don't just go wrong. No, Chernobyl went wrong because people were involved. That's the irony. Of yeah. It. Yeah. And so because you're just watching a computer and yes, you can intervene and do stuff. That said, it also proved that I should never work in a nuclear power plant because within two minutes, I had an alarm going off. Disastrous alarm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, what, I just typed in a few commands. Alarm went off. Disastrous. I was like, uh, I felt like Homer in the, the Simpsons. I was like, I'm not sure what I did. Um, so I just, so, so I had this alarm going beep, beep. The screen border was flashing red. It was like there was, you know, I was generating no power. The core started to get poisoned. I'm like, oh, wow, cool. I didn't think that was even possible. I broke, <laughs> I broke this game. So then I typed in Scram, which is the, you know, the failsafe. That injected all of the nuclear rods into the into the core, and that, that's it. The disaster was prevented. Ooh, that's lucky. You turned a mere, yeah. you turned a possible Chernobyl into a mere three mile island. <laughs> <laughs> no. What made me, what made me laugh after that? After the enormous sigh of relief was. I actually had no clue what caused that. Um, no. I just typed, you know, I was just tapping in a few of the commands off the sheet thinking, what does that do? Click, 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 beep, 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 beep. Was like, oh, oh, oops. That's a proper, don't do it. we need that to live. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like, what does that do? <laughs> anyway. It's my first day. <laughs> they gave this a rate of 68%. I don't know how you rate this. They've not rated games before that were like this. I don't think this is a game you can rate. I think it, for morbid curiosity, you might want to load it up and have a look, but you're going to be bored because it's just watching a nuclear power plant simulator yeah and nothing happens unless you're me so you know and i don't know what i did so but anyway <laughs> i just found it it's yeah, beyond all of that apart from all the interesting stuff about nuclear power and all that there's nothing really interesting in this game it must have been a weird thing to create as well for paul norman but he's made anyway, some very weird games well this very is on strange. the list isn't it anyway yeah. strange old thing i'm not sure what i made of it really but just proved that i should never work in a power nuclear power plant and thank god i don't no you should <laughs> never do that no no <laughs> I don't know what I did, but uh, that's not an excuse, is it? When the uh, top of the uh, reactor's just blown off into the sky and there's a blue, you know, the, I, the, the sky's ionizing radi- radiation. What did you do? I don't know. Just typed, in, just typed the commands out of the book. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some more weird stuff coming from Paul Norman. Just looking on, uh, the, he did something called DEFCON 5. We've got NAVCOM oh, 6, the Gulf Defense. I've got a feeling he, he's been reading a lot of, uh, has he got a tinfoil hat on at this point? Well, he's also done one as well called The President is Missing. Uh, yes. <laughs> something tells me that his uh, his meds weren't working or something. It was off his meds, I think. I don't know, but we have these to look forward to at some point, maybe. Chirpy old game, that. Chirpy, yeah. Chirpy, yeah. Nothing says have a laugh with your mates like the Chernobyl syndrome. It's a game, does it? <laughs> Come around, we're going to play Chernobyl. What happens? Nothing. People, Hopefully. People tend to soup. <laughs> horrible. Yeah. You had to say, that reminds me of that horrible TV show. It was horrible. It was, but incredibly good. And you should watch it if you haven't seen it. You should it's watch amazing. it. And the people who made that, by the way, are the people that have made the Last of Us TV show. So that's, you know, that, and part of it was even like the Last of Us, so it's got to be good. Hopefully. That's enough of that. There we go. That's the Chernobyl syndrome. Strange thing. That's not a particularly cheery half, is it? <laughs> a cheery part no, of the, the cheery It's not way cheering you up, that. No. They, well, nothing was cheery. Frightmare was terrible. Terrible nightmare. Time Fighter was awful. And Chernobyl was... Uh, sorry, Cybernoid was a bit disappointing. So yeah. uh, let's see uh, if we can cheer ourselves up. Let's take a break. Um, and we'll come back after this, where we will talk about singles. The single releases the UK in May 1988. See you in a bit. Adrian, do you think Ocean would like to go back in time to fix V and Knight Rider? I think 
Maybe, probably, yes, I think they probably would. And you know what? That reminds me of our sponsor's book, Back in Time for a Donut, where Tara goes back to right some wrongs. She might even stop them from making Highlander. <laughs> Neutralise the electro scan there. He's never going to stop that. <laughs> I do like that, Tara. She's a bit of a gamer too. She's playing Gallagher at one point, isn't she? No Eidolon, though. No, or Catechist, though she's a bit of a fighter, unlike her wicked sister Pandora, who she gone back in time to stop. Yeah. She tries to stop her sister from being born, but time machines aren't an exact science, as that gnome from Time Tunnel taught us. The one carrying the baguette. Uh, it was a torch, Graham. Torch. A torch made of delicious bread. Oh. Anyway, that's Bread in Time for a Donut by David Hearn. <laughs> um, available at Amazon and at Bakeries as an audio bread. <laughs> I do, do love a good audio bread. There's not enough of them in the world. I, I do like a good audio bread. Absolutely. <laughs> pair of cobs for my ears. And we're back. Let's get into some singles. Uh, this is singles for May 1988. I know it says 1987 on our agenda. I'm going to change that right now because otherwise it's just going to confuse me. But it says 1988 now. Theme from S-Express, Graham. We're still at number digga, one. Digga, 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 digga. Enjoy this trip. For one week. We're still enjoying it. Thanks. It's a lovely trip. Uh, it yeah, is a absolutely. trip. It is a trip. Uh, 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 there you go. Uh, 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 Fair dues. Yeah, absolutely. I am perfectly lovable <laughs> in all ways, and I'm a great you cheeky spooner. rogue. You. And I'm a gr- I'm a good spooner. I'm a I'm a, I'm a knifey. I'm a knifey spoony. It works though. <laughs> We'd work though. Yeah, <laughs> we played knifey spoony. <laughs> Do you know? I nearly said stabby then. And a stabber and a spooner is not a good combo, is it? That's not a good combo. No. no, um, no. Replacing that after one week for one week was perfect by Fairground Attraction. And we've spoken about this. We have now. I have done a. What I like to call the twee mix of this. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is the tweaky based remix. We'll, you know, I'll put us that. will put it right here. It's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yes. Yes. I'll, Amazing I'll how well it fits. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew it would do. So, yes. yeah that's good uh well done well done on that um well so you, but you'll have heard that obviously we'll we'll intercut the sound so you hear that nice as i'm laughing hopefully um the yes, thing with that, maybe though, not <laughs> oh you just hear me laughing at yeah uh the thing with that though is it's actually kind of made me like the song more which i yes well which gonna uh, say a pox on you for that because <laughs> i don't like that song. <laughs> yes a pox on you from tweaky go and punch that man in the <laughs> punch that man in the cock Dr. Theophilus. <laughs> I didn't think, biggie, I didn't biggie, think biggie. clocks knew that kind of language. Did you say biggie, clock? Biggie. <laughs> Tweaky, I hope you've washed that hand. Oh dear. Anyway, book, yes. Book. Um, for the final three weeks of the month... <laughs> Uh, was with a little help from my friends. She's leaving home by Wet 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 and Billy Bragg with Cara Tivy. Tivy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> knee neck and the Bragster, <laughs> as I've called him. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. Knee neck, <laughs> knee neck. <laughs> oh dear. Knee neck and the Bragster. It's the. It was yes. the. 
It was a short-lived uh, buddy <laughs> buddy series on ITV. This was um, this was a uh, double cover uh, for the album Sergeant Pepper Knew My Father, which was a tribute album for the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club album or something or other that was done. Yeah. So they loads of bands covered all the songs of it, I think, and these were two of the tracks off it. As far as well, is that you right? Say loads of bands. Well, kinda. Okay, uh, I didn't look further so into it. If, if if for example, I told you that track seven on the album was "Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite" by Frank Sidebottom you might get an inclination of the kind of obscure shit that is actually listed on that uh, album. So to give you just a flavour of it, the, oh, no. obviously Wet 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 are on there, but uh, Fixing a Hole is on there by Hue and Cry, with the, without, Within You, Without You, Sonic Youth. Lovely Sonic Rita Youth. is by... Yeah, they're on it, yes. Wow. Michelle Shocked. Heard of that person? Yes, yeah. Good I've Morning, Good Morning is uh, covered by the Triffids, and A Day in the Life is covered by The Fall. Some strange, strange bands in that mix. Yeah, there really is. What was the point of it? Was it a, was it a um, was it just a tribute or was it a charity? No, album? it was a charity. It was it was a, to raise money, but it was created by New Musical Express. It was to raise money for Childline. Um, ah, right, okay. So, which was newly fun, founded by the BBC consumer program That's Life. Ah, so Lonely Hearts Club. That done. I'm not sure that's a good name for Childline. No, it's not. And anyway, I think Childline's been dis- been disbanded. I don't know if it exists anymore. But if it does, it does amazing work. But I'm not sure that album would have helped them. No, <laughs> it seems like a really weird thing to do a tribute to yeah i picked that album but never mind anyway there you go but it obviously made lots of money three weeks top of the charts good good thing yeah all right let's get into the singles uh first of may number 10 blue monday 1988 by new order so they were re-releasing that it's a remix actually that by quincy jones and john potoka oh is it Um, yes i think Um, that's probably the one i'm more familiar with than the original i think a lot of people are so it was actually i think it's been re-released a few times and the one I, i will remember isn't that one although i do remember it but the one i remember most is the one that was done by hard floor which came later later which was a kind of an acid version so all good okay uh and at number 17 was loads of money doing up the house mm. by harry enfield did you dig the kind of character of loads of money in that no no i didn't i found him annoying i liked um i didn't mind stavros yeah which i suppose looking back on it now would probably be questionable but at the time i thought yeah. stavros was quite funny but loads of money just annoyed the crap out of me yeah yeah exactly so it's some kind of parody of that kind of you know loud money mentality of the eighties, wasn't it? And greed wins, and you know, and all that. Yeah, I, yeah. And it was. I don't know. I didn't quite was get it, the joke. Was he? A, I think he was a chippy one, or a plumber, or something. He was Paint some and kind decorate, of wasn't he? Paint and yeah, decorate. Yeah. Like, so he's like making that. loads of money and always going. Yeah, look on at it. my wad, wasn't it? it? Was his? You know. And I get yes. it because that was always Harry Enfield's characters, wasn't it? They were always kind of extremes of a variant of a thing. Take it yeah. to an extreme and then really sort of in your face with it. And funny, yeah, I, suppose, and I, I, I didn't mind Harry Enfield, but as it would go on, Paul Whitehouse would, and when you get to the fast show, Paul Whitehouse would do that kind of thing. And, and obviously Charlie Higson and everything would do it much better with the fast show, which is yeah. probably the best character-based quick comedy ever made, I think, the fast show. Incredible stuff. But, but I can see it came from that Harry Enfield and Friends, wasn't it? I think it was the show. Yeah, absolutely, totally. And uh, that even that parody is parodied in a later song, which is... Uh, come across oh okay uh, and at number 18 is Alphabet Street by Prince yeah not my bag, you're not a but- fan of the Prince are you I'm not, no, no, not my thing. Good stuff, this, actually. Um, from his album Love Sexy, it was the first single off that album, so that album must be coming up in our album charts at some point. Um, the video apparently contains hidden messages. The first appears after the end of the first verse, and there's a lot, I'll put a link to the information about it, because I'm not going to read, you know, give you a list of hidden messages to go and look for, because is there anything more boring than me telling you there's something hidden in something? Go and look for it. You won't see them, though, because they're <laughs> split-second images. You need to pause it on micro-pause. Why do people put hidden images in? Who knows? You know, who, knows? who knows? But they're Don't in know. there. Um, at number 29, Start Talking Love by Magnum. 
Um, so I've got some things about this, but first thing I'll say, so the, so the video for this is the adventures of a hitchhiking metaler um, in very blue denim along the motorways of the UK. So the band are playing live and it's as bad as you think this is going to be. The hitchhiker, hitchhiker gets picked up by an attractive woman in a convertible and the song is about starting to talk about love, but all he wants is a lift to the gig, whereupon he gets out when she drives off. Rubbish. Yes. <laughs> it's dreadful. There's a bit in it where there's a close-up of her driving shot from below and she's just driving past a lorry. Nothing more yeah. sexy. And it's just like, I just think it just says logistics or something. It's like, it's just, it's just no, rubbish. This is just terrible, awful stuff. But this did get me thinking, if you put a comma in Start Talking Love it's and, and the name Magnum, it led me down the road of thinking that what if Magnum P.I. was set in Wigan and he was some kind <laughs> of private detective and that was what he says. Yeah, Start Talking Love. And so, <laughs> By Magnum PI in the north in Northern Magnum, so you know he wouldn't drive a Ferrari and he, Higgins. They wouldn't have that big house and stuff like that. It'd just be some terraced house somewhere or whatever, and they'd have two per pit bulls or something um, rather than the Dobermans. But yeah, so imagine Magnum in Wigner, Wigan, and that's what uh, it led me down that sort of thought process. I think that'd make a good show, and I would like to watch that. But that's just me, probably. <laughs> it's definitely you. I saw a flash sign for the M1. Yes, there is M6 as well. What a dreary <laughs> thing to put in anything. And the M6, yeah. Just stupid, you know. And it's clearly where he's going. M1, M6, he's having to Birmingham, isn't he? Probably the Midlands, somewhere like that. Yeah, he's obviously the gig. Somewhere in the Midlands. Yeah, no. And it's not. really bad. It's just a terrible song and video. No, but it's just, it's got the formula. You know, tiresome and horrible. It's the formula starting to appear on the stage, the same sort of lights, same sort of effects, the spinny, spinny guitarists always spinning. And There's a really no. funny slow-mo jump of one of the, uh, the guitarists jumping off. It's in slow-mo. It takes it's quite several good. seconds. It made me laugh a lot. It's not the worst one we're going to see, though, anyway. Possibly not. <laughs> crap. <Number> th- <laughs> Still crap, yeah. Number 36, Bad Young Brother by Derek B. Yeah. Yes. More your kind of thing, this. Well, this is actually really important, this track. One, because it's a classic, classic, classic rap track. Two, because this is a British rapper. Mm. Um, and I think he was he was born in Hammersmith, Derek B. First UK rapper to achieve massive success. Now, I've got a lot of fond memories of listening to Derek B. is a bad young brother. Oh, yeah. A lot of listening to that with Gary, because Gary kind of, I remember him bringing it around on a tape going, you got to wear this. Um, because it was quite, it was quite intense and it was quite an intense style of rap. It was like, it's a strange, it's just, I don't even know how to define the different eras of rap. I'm no expert or anything like that. Uh, contrary to what you might think, I'm not an expert. Um, but um, <laughs> sounds just, like you I'm are. Just saying, just, I'm very convincing. Um, but um, this one is sure? kind of—I don't know how to describe uh, describe it. It's that—it's that early style of rap. So is it's it like drum beat in the background. And, yeah, I guess so. I don't—I don't, I don't, I don't know. know how you describe it. But those early—it's different to the sort of the, the difference between this and the kind of the Snoop Dogg kind of rapping. Very different styles. Very. Mm, so okay. one's more you know melodic and flowy, and this one's kind of more you know angry shouting guy shouting over drum beats. And I guess I don't know how to define. It. But anyway, the real tragedy of all this, as much as that's a great track, he died on the 15th of November 2009 of a massive heart attack, aged just 44. Oh, that is sad. Tragic loss. Yeah, it's sad. Um, I'll put the link to both the Guardian obituary and to the amazing Derek B is a bad young brother because it's such a good track. It really is. Really okay. is good. At number 41, ain't nothing but a good time by Poison. <laughs> there ain't the, only po- the only Poison track I have time for this really is. Yeah, it's probably. It's not I too like bad, is it? It's all right. I think the last time I heard it was in the regular show episode. My mom, I love the regular show. If you don't, you know, if you don't. <laughs> oh yeah, the regular show is amazing. It's amazing, and that <laughs> that particular episode is hilarious. And that moment in it when they just decide to get, you know, just leave work and just blow work off and go and do some crazy stuff, and that music comes on, brilliant. <laughs> A shower from the sweat on my forehead. <laughs> 
the, the, if you if ever, by the way, if you ever want to watch a, a really good regular show episode, either watch the one where they're trying to get into the house party uh, with the um, muscle man's house party and they get turned themselves yeah, into yeah. ghosts to get in, which yep. is hilarious, by the way. Mm-hmm. Or the episode with the unicorns and dude time, the uh, cologne <laughs> that he wears. Yeah. <laughs> dude, are you wearing dude time? <laughs> Can I bum a spray? It's just everything about that episode. Is pretty, anyway, that's, that's an aside. This yeah, is the first single, days. by the way, from Poison's second studio album, Open Up and Say, Ah... <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's in our albums. We've got that coming up. So I think I recognise <laughs> the album, album title. So there you go. I don't know. Say, I find uh, it such a cheeky title, but it's another application of the formula in the video, isn't it? Lots of spinning, lots of camera floating oh God, around, yeah. lots of stuff like that. It's still not the worst one we're going to see today. <laughs> These bands were uh, all about the spinning, the spinny. Yes, there's lots of spinny, spinny. This is considered the best track by all those people in the know, by experts, like what I am. <laughs> You are an expert, Graham, on many things. I am. I am Although it soon transpires that you're actually not. <laughs> I'm not an expert at all, no. <laughs> no. Number 42, Circle in the Sand by Belinda Carlisle. Mm, interesting. Uh, I, I like, like the song. Yeah, this is all right. It's a bit different, obviously, to uh, Ooh, Heaven is a Place on Earth, which is its official title. You have to put Ooh at the beginning. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Circle in the Sand, it's a bit slower, in it? It's a bit more moody. Yeah. Circles yeah. in the sand. Do, 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 do. Yeah, third like single from the uh, Heaven on Earth album um yeah. reached number seven in the u.s i think the show that is a u.s or uk charts actually for that little factoid it was uh the sixth and last top 10 tit top 10 hit that's really hard to say it's a top 10 tit you did and it might have been i did say it um <laughs> see that's my expertise it's lacking here <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a uh, top 10 hit in the US, u.s i don't know if it was or it wasn't does it matter <laughs> i don't know i have no idea yeah. well if you put reach number seven becoming carlisle's sixth and last top 10 hit in the united states i'm yeah, guessing so it's the u.s, it's the US. <laughs> Because that's what you've written. I, I lack the expertise <laughs> to read it through to the end. Should have done that. <laughs> Your reading skills are weak, young man. <laughs> but they are, unfortunately. They're suffering. Massively uh, suffering. Number 47, Out of the Blue by Debbie Gibson. Yeah. Yeah. It's my comment. Eh. More, it's more Gibson, yeah. in it? Yeah, yeah it's more David Gibson, yeah. Number 78, Endless Summer Nights by Richard Marks. Yeah, I put his cousin Harry checkbox, took him to court for that. Yeah, but the judge Barry Grader threw it out for like a proofreading. <laughs> Barry Grader. Such a good name for a judge. <laughs> judge Grader, please stand. <laughs> I'll stand for Judge Barry Grader. <laughs> this hasn't been proofread. Out. <laughs> Do you swear to sing songs and all songs are nothing but the songs? So help you God. I'll sing. Absolutely. <laughs> Objection. Uh, sing your uh, objections. I'll get out. Are any of these songs a hazard? Might be. Eighth <laughs> um, of May, number five. With a little help from my friends, she's leaving home. We've done that. Wet, yeah, wet, wet, buddy brag. Knee neck and the bragster. Uh, number thirteen is the Anfield rap, the Red Machine in full effect by Liverpool <laughs> FC. I'm I'm ashamed to support them <laughs> when I watch this. It makes me go, oh. <laughs> I mean, I loved Liverpool. I love, you know, I'm a big Liverpool fan. Don't care. But um, and back then, you know, it was the mid eight. It was late eighties. So you had, yeah, it's just, you know, I was just. But this was awful, awful, <laughs> awful. But what it yeah. did do, is sort of thing, is it set John Barnes up for his rapping in World in Motion, the new order yes, song that we've got coming somewhere did. down the line. But this was just dreadful. I don't know what it is. There's, it's not even the first. It's not even the only football song we have this week either, no, which is no, annoying. But yeah, it is crap. Uh, number fifteen, got to be certain by Kylie Minogue. Uh, yeah. Yes, written and produced by Guess Who. Is it uh, Walkman, Aitken and Stock? Yes, it's Chicken, Stock, Aitken and Walkman again. 
Um, song was released as the second single from the Kylie album. I didn't realize this actually, but initially um, she declined to work with Stock Aiken and Watman again after feeling snubbed and disrespected when the producers kept her waiting to record I Should Be So Lucky. Bit of prima donna coming out there, I think. Mm. Madon- uh, Minogue was convinced to give the trio a second chance after Mike Chickenstock flew to Melbourne and personally apologized <laughs> to Kelly and her family. My I'd like chicken- to have seen that. My Chickenstock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mike Chickenstock. Oh, yes. Mike Chickenstock. Listen, yes. my, my Chickenstock. Mike Chickenstock could have gone. I like the idea. Just went to a I'd like to apologise to you, Kylie, and to your family for any distress that we caused by wanting you to record a single and make millions for us. Absolutely. It's a tragic waste of your time and mine. Can we have some chicken? Because I brought all the Please. stock you need. And I'm going to miss you most of all, Scarecrow. Can I use my own chicken stock? You don't mind if it's not in the bags, dear. What is it in then? I just secrete it. I just secrete Just ring out my underpants. It's the easiest way. It's like a resin. You can pick out the hairs. It's all right. Shh. Shh. Uh, what about love? Number 40 by Heart. Mm. Um, this is a good song, this, but it's got a really bad ending, which doesn't yeah. fit the song at all. It all goes horribly wrong at the three minute mark. Um, it does. And it may have been, yeah, I know it's a cover or whatever, but it's a, they should have just cut that bit out. I just don't like it because it's a great, you know, it's a good sort of ballady rock song. I've been waiting for you, do, 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 yeah. do, and all that. And then all of a sudden it just goes crazy at the end for the last half a minute. It's like, oh, yeah. No. The original version by Toronto, the Canadian group, no surprises there, <laughs> Toronto. Is that- um <laughs> That reminds um, me of a uh, illustrious <laughs> GY, where any band that came out of Grimsby had to let everyone know that they'd come out of Grimsby. We were putting the number yeah. letters GY at the end. I think they're contractually obliged to make sure that people. It's were the only aware way. It's the only way that people can drive out of the town. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was yeah, this was originally coded by the Canadian group. Exactly the same face, basically the version it has the same weird ending as well. However, the chord pattern for this is clearly ripped off by um, Roxette for "Listen to Your Heart" because this. Oh, if it? you listen to the beginning, it's the same. Yeah, "Listen to Your Heart," down and I'll be. Calling for you. Oh, it's, yeah. the same. it's the same. I don't know oh, how wow. they got away with it. I don't know how they got away with it. That comes out in September 1988. So, just, you know, it's exactly the same. I mean, I know you can't copyright a chord pattern, but it's, it sounds, the beginning, it sounds, it's sort of sung in the same way. It's the same. You can like, like Rolling Stones did with the verb and stuff. And I think Pet Shop Boys yeah. did with the... It's a sin, didn't they? Cat Stevens sued him, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know if the, I don't know because maybe. Um, but at the minute, it's kind of a hot topic, isn't it? Because of all the stuff that's happening with um, I don't know what's his name. Um, who's the? Uh, it's, it, there's been two actually major cases of it, hasn't there? Recently, there was one which was um, that god awful song "Blurred Lines," which was taken to court by um, Marvin Gaye. So Marvin Marvin Gaye's. Marvin Gaye's estate. How did he manage to take someone to... Oh, he's a state. <laughs> his estate took them. Yeah, not Marvin Gaye. He's sadly passed away. But Marvin Gaye's estate took blurred lines to court for basically saying that they ripped it off. And he won. Mm-hmm. They won significant damages. He's then taken... Now, who's the English sort of busker turn mega hit? Mega hit oh, uh, Ed, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. So now they've taken Ed Sheeran to court because his song um, sounds alarmingly like one of the Marvin Gaye songs. In fact, at the point when, and perhaps he shot himself in the foot a bit for his later case in court. So he's going to court because Ed Sheeran is starts at one of his live concerts, starts playing his own song and then blends that into the very song that they're saying you ripped off. Um, um, no, I don't believe he did rip it off because it's there's so many differences in lots of other ways, but it does sound, you can't help but say it sounds similar. Ooh. Now, is similar a crime? I don't know. But in this instance, there's no doubt that Listen to Your Heart is the exact chord and set it's the sound it's not just the chord pattern because that's one thing but it's the way it's you know the melody that goes over that and the drive i'm surprised they got away with it and maybe they didn't but i couldn't find any information to say that roxette had uh, been sued by anyone not only that roxette i think disbanded and the woman in it has sadly passed away so so, god lots of people dying this week yeah yeah it is number uh number 51 hey mr heartache by kim wilde 
didn't like this. Weird song, splodgy synths, an overly dramatic video. <laughs> I, know you, I, I know what you mean by splodgy synth. It's a big hit in Norway, though. Number three in Norway. <laughs> that's true. Good. That's, that's a true fact. Uh, step in the wrong direction, though. And another example of technology at this stage, blandifying the music. Now, by that, I mean that this, the preponderance of the same technologies being used to create a similar sound Yes. is meaning that a lot of musicians are jumping on that bandwagon and we're going to see a really good example of it in a bit. But this is another one where it's it's creating this kind of bland synth, splodgy synth landscape over which people are de- creating these de- derivative songs. Deriv- and it's not nice. And it's a pity because Kim Wilde, good voice, you know, and, yeah. and she'd have stuck to doing more Kids in America stuff. You know, why not do that? Do more yeah, of absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know, don't go with the flow, Kim. God damn it. You're wild. You're yeah, not Kim you Normal or Kim Average. You're Kim Wilde. God damn it. You're wild. Clues <laughs> in the name. Yeah, live up to your name. Don't become... No, Kim Average. Yeah. Nobody she's wants that. O- she is overly dramatic in this video, though. She is. She really is, yeah. Overly dramatic. Lots of, lots of cl- clenched fists and closing of the eyes. Oh, feeling it. Oh, feeling it. <laughs> like yeah. me on the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's both clenched fists. <laughs> <laughs> and beads of sweat over the eyebrows, though. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not, not, not always your own eyebrows. <laughs> as, I, as I try not to look over the egg. <laughs> look over your own egg. <laughs> You let out out a bagark and then there it is. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Can't hatch it. I don't know what will come out. I usually give them away. Like uh, dragon eggs in uh, House of the Dragon. Here's a clutch of my eggs. Where where are they they from? Damon's ass. Look, I could tell you, but I tell you, you're never going to look at me the same way and you're never going to let me in your toilet. True. (laughs) Don't anyway. Not after last time. Number 68, Don't Call Me Baby by Voice of the Beehive. I know you don't really like them, do you? They're all right. They're okay. They're just just okay. They're just there. Yeah. I think this this is one of my sort of bit of a secret. You know, with some tracks that that people have that they really, really, really like. Yeah, yeah. This is one of mine. I really, really, really like this track by Voice of the Beehive. It's one of my favourite songs. Um, Partly because I had a real thing for Melissa Belland in the group. Don't say that word wrong, name wrong. You don't. No, and she is quite a famous family as well. But anyway, it's such a good song don't call me baby i think it deserved this, to be a lot it deserves to be a much bigger hit than it was i think is this don't what am i call what am i it's thinking of that goes, don't call me baby, baby. you're thinking of um there is a dance track called uh, don't call me baby you gotta love it it's not no, that. I, no that's not betty boo either no anyway i don't know don't know what i'm thinking of but some tune is in my you're head you're not thinking of where are you baby that's what i'm thinking of yeah that's betty boo yeah that's not this song yeah. either no it's not that's where are you, baby? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, by Betty Boo doing the do, probably. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, number 91, Parents Just Don't Understand by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Ooh, interesting this. Is this the um, first time we've seen them? I think it's the first time we've it's, mentioned them, is it? Or have we mentioned the, them before? I'm not, sh- I, I know, I'm not sure, really. This was the lead single off the 1988 album. Um, which was called He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper. That album was recorded in the UK. And this is the, because um, the I think the first track is um, the one with the I Dream of Jeannie in the background, which is, because um, this is Parents Just Don't Understand, but the other one was um, Girls of the World Ain't Nothing But Trouble, which I think came out before this. But th- this is the first tracks, big popular tracks by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Mm, well, yeah, Will Smith. Yeah, Here we all know where that ended up. We was slapping somebody in the face at an award ceremony. I did, yeah, and apologising. He was cross. He was very cross, he was. Wait, what? At first, he was laughing, <laughs> and then he got cross. Yeah. Then he got very cross, very cross indeed. <laughs> and then he got less cross, and then he got a bit yes, more and cross. Then, and then, then the people <laughs> stopped coming. <laughs> and then he had some degrees <laughs> and some proteins, some protein. Protein. plankton. And then it stopped. <laughs> and, he was, and he was happy and then. They came <laughs> he was happy after that. Uh, 
15th of May, number 34, check this out by LA Mix. I didn't check this out, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, I did, and because I I remembered it, I, I was actually looking at it going and thinking, where, now, where, why is this sticking out in my memory, this name? And when I listened to it, this is a test. This, this, this is a test. I'm not sure if this is a parody of Bomb the Bass and Mars and S-Express and those things, or it's an actual <laughs> house track. Um, but I, there's so many samples, classic samples in this. It's, it's unbelievable. There's loads of them. And I remember listening to that a lot with Gary, and I mean a lot. So it's definitely, if, if, if you know, podcast friend Gary would testify to the fact that this was one of the big tracks that we listened to, because there's so many little sample snippets that even now I remember and thinking, well, yeah. you know, so he must have brought this around from a, on a tape or something, which he probably did. He did. Just bring around the tapes and play them on the little tape recorder I had, and we'd all go, get turn it off, it's rubbish. Absolutely. Um, Put some Halloween on. But he never um, did. <laughs> no, he used to hog that uh, tape recorder like a, like a haunched maniac. Um <laughs> <laughs> number 37 oh, this is me by climby fisher <laughs> i only like one climby fisher song and yeah, it's not it's this not one, one. Yeah. <laughs> no. bland bland, bland. my bland alarm went off bland bland <laughs> should have gone off at the next one or some some kind of alarm should have gone off at the next something one went, something went off <laughs> no number 41 naughty 41 naughty girls oh, need love too by samantha oh, fox God, this track it's so it's bad. Track. It's it's bad in all sorts of ways. Bad. Um, so <laughs> this is from Sam Fox. Um, she's been through the Blandifier and she's been through the computer, you know, the, the, she's been through the production machinery. So this is yonder side of the synths they used to make stuff in the 80s.com. Yep. Um, and out of that came this, you know, unpolished egg. <laughs> Um, <laughs> some things wrong with it I've noted I won't read them all out because you've, you've added some ones yourself but she's out of tune principally throughout the whole thing which is horrible she looks like she's got John claude Van Damme as a backing dancer that's quirky <laughs> that is odd um, it's a step towards the hip house standing of the time um, if the step was taken by a complete fucking idiot <laughs> Um, the video is terrible. I mean, terrible, bad, yep. terrible. She raps, Adrian. She does rap. And not in a good way. No. Not in a Christmas present kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> so she raps. And on that day, the seas boiled and the rivers were... Did you write that? I didn't put that, I don't think. Yeah, you wrote um, that. I wrote that. I wrote that. On that <laughs> I, just, day, the I seas added, boiled. missed a couple of lines out of it, but I, I just tied it up. The rivers um, ran there red. Is entirely, there, there is entirely too much use of the orchestral stab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In that. Yep, it's awful. Um, and then you've added someone that you needed questions some, to. And some questions to yeah. Why are there so many shots of her crotch in the opening of the video? <laughs> yeah, my my, sp- my request, my response to that was: Is that a real question? Yes, it is because it's ridiculous. <laughs> crotch shots of Sam Fox. I know, I get it, but it's awful. It's just. It's terrible. Um, there is too they, many. What do they have against that wall, which they all attack for some reason? <laughs> I couldn't quite figure out. And what Dude. happened to that man's vest? Don't ask questions that you don't want the answers to. What 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 neckline is it where you go, I'll have a neckline that goes down below my belly button? It's um, It was <laughs> well, fashion- just fashionably graffiti. <laughs> I know. Everything about that video is bad, isn't it? Because it's. I think they're meant to be some kind of rap gang. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what on earth the producers that were thinking. I don't know, because there's other gang just turn up every now and again just to sing some backing vocals, don't they? Oh, don't. I don't know that she's hanging around with the wrong crowd. <laughs> She is. She should have stayed at that uh, that seaside place where she's playing that terrible well, arcade some, game. Well, somebody should just say to her, Sam Fox, you know, Sam, let's kind of call you Sam. Yeah. Never release any more music. Not like that anyway, because <laughs> no. that's awful. No. Let's just stop it. Just Let's just stop yeah. now. It's not going to happen. Yes. End. Uh, End of num- line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, Dylan just stepped in. End of line for you, Sam Fox. End of line. <laughs> uh, number 41, Give a Little Love by Aswad. I don't remember it or know anything about them, really. I no, can't I comment. don't. Uh, number 46, Mary Jane by 
by Megadeth. Yeah. <laughs> um, I gave it a listen. It's a chuggy song. Chugger. It's a chugger. It's slower chuggy. than the usual stuff, but it's still exactly as you expect it to be. <laughs> the Lots chuggy, of... you know, the metal variant of the uh, the baddies in Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> yes, the chuggies. <laughs> He's a real chugger. <laughs> How do you like your, how do you like your tea? Two chuggers. Absolutely. He doesn't swallow. He doesn't he doesn't chew. He just chugs it. He just we just call him the pillow. <laughs> Number sixty-five, yeah. fair play featuring Rose Windross, which is Salt to Soul featuring Rose Windross. So yeah. is this the first like Salt Soul? No. It um, is the first Salt to Soul track we've had, yes. Yeah, so I think far. so, yeah. Obviously these would go on to be big. Yeah, well, two tracks. Yeah, but they were <laughs> famous, massive famous tracks. For one beat one drum beat which they didn't invent and two tracks later. Yeah, but, but they were yeah, but, good. I mean get it. Good. Yeah. But they were well, I don't know if they were good or not. They were, just, they were everywhere for a while and they still are, yes. aren't they? When people think yeah. about the early nineties. Late 80s, yeah, you're always going to get back to life. exactly, which isn't this one? Um, but I no. actually quite like Soul to Soul, it's good background, you know, summer party music. It is, it's in the background, it's quite cool, like that. Nice, chilled vibes, and that's actually a really good, chilled vibes track. It's a very, if you're into your house music, um, and the later derivations of house, which is a little bit sort of soul house and stuff like that, this is very early versions of that stuff. Um, so you know, it's fast, it fascinates me. Some amazing production in there, really good stuff. All right, take your word. Number 75, All the Way by the England football team. Oh, that ball needs shoving all the way somewhere. <laughs> it's, an, it's another football song. As I've noted, these should be hate crimes. They're just, <laughs> they're just, they're just nightmarish. I never want good. to see Peter Beardsley and Gary Lineker singing ever. No. Ever into it. And then, and then it cuts to a, a gurning David Seaman. This is not what I wanted this afternoon. Uh, gurning <laughs> Seaman sounds like a description of something, like a nightmare at that game. <laughs> Beardsley passes to Lineker and there's a gurning Seaman after it. But, <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's all gone wrong. Um, no, no. no. Salt like and Lineker, dirty semen. It all sounds a bit rancid to me. <laughs> it no does. Thing. Number 97, Can't Stay Away From You by Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine. Mm. Um, I listened to this. This was maudlin and boring. <laughs> Which is, ironically, the name of the solicitor firm that represent them. <laughs> Probably. So just be careful with that. My question there to you, Adrian, for this was, what was the exact purpose of their machinery? Well, the Miami Sound Machine. Yeah, what does it do? Um, it was to make sound. Yeah, I get that. But what, you know, Miami sounds. Sound, Miami oh, sounds. Okay. So it's just like, you know, tooting of taxi horns, yeah. um, seagulls. You've people never play- been to Miami, have you? <laughs> people, <laughs> no, right. play- people playing beach volleyball. <laughs> and that weird game that they play in Miami. Oh, yeah. Oh, Chucker. Scoops. Scoops. <laughs> Chucker. <laughs> Chucker, Chucker and Scoops. That's the that's the other lawyer firm. They lost a bit of money. That's the that's another seventies buddy cop movie. Chucker and Scoops. He them, All right, Chucker. He chucked them. I scoop them up. Chucker and Scoops. Chucker and Scoops. Right, I might actually have to write that one. I've got a feeling that that is writing Chucker and Scoops. I think it does do. Uh, that's high. Do you know how that's pronounced? Uh, high lie. By the way, is how that sport is actually what it's actually called. That's right. Yeah. Is it High Line? Is it? It's High Line. High. It's J apostrophe A. Yeah, yeah. L A I, but it's just pronounced high lie. Not jelly. No. Not jelly. La la la. It should be called that. What you have to So there's an alarm going off somewhere. What are you doing? <laughs> you have to stop after the first la. If you don't, you go for too far and then it just ends up with alarm sounds. As you said, yeah, Jack. What are you going to play? Jalalala. Oh, it's gone too far. Too far. You've jala too far. Jalalala. You jala ruined it. You jala late. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, what was he? Jar, jar wobble. Jalala wobble. And whenever they, whenever they score points in the game, they have to emit that sound. That's why it's called. <laughs> jalala. <that. laughs> 
He's got three points. <laughs> How many jalalas has he got? <laughs> Seven. Oh my god. Seven. <laughs> yes, that. So that's the sounds that the Miami sound machine makes. Yes. So just to get, check it back and let's take it down and then rest. Thank you. Yes. There you go. Yes. Can't uh, think of that now without that. But yes, thanks. Number 98, Kiss Me Deadly by Lita Ford. ITV's Power Hour slash Raw Power were obsessed with this song. Obsessed. They played it every single time it was on. And uh, as I noted, I wonder why after watching the video, yeah. which is... And then I, I watched it and I was like, ah... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where she's yeah, just rubbing up against guitars in a leotard. Yeah, and then sort of, you know, crawling across the floor and, you know, sticking a button up in the air. And Yeah, there you go. One of the first, like, um, sort of rock, sort of rock chicks, I guess, for that sort of MTV generation. Yeah, totally. I yeah. guess. No. The, what was the yeah. other one? Lisa, Lisa, Dominique, Lisa, someone or other. There was another one that came out about a year it's or so later. In the heart sort of territory at this point. Heart went that way as well. Yes, yeah, they did. Um, so 22nd of May, uh, number 27 is Love Will Save the Day by Whitney Houston. <laughs> uh, now, I've noted, I listened to this, and it's, it's a weird song, this. I do remember it, but it, when, upon listening to it, I, I thought I wouldn't be surprised if this had been written for Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound yeah, Machines. It sounds like one it of their songs. Like yeah, it does. But you, as I've said, you've, uh, you're questioning the purpose of the machine. <laughs> I've Dangerous that. An alarm's gone off somewhere. <laughs> oh, my Someone God. scored six points. <laughs> Someone's questioned the machine. Uh, yeah. Fly, my pretties, fly. <laughs> <laughs> Release the jalalas. <laughs> Um, yes, number 20. Yeah, so that's Whitney Houston. Uh, it's an okay song, but it sounds like the Gloria Estefan song for some weird reason. There's a sort of Latino, or Latinx, sorry, uh, style, style to it. to that, yes. There was a little bit of that Vogue creeping in there, wasn't there, around some of the American production? Because it was a couple of hits came out that were kind of that style. So what that means is the machine, not their machine, but a different machine, steps in and goes, right, now, you know, you saw it like Madonna tended to be a good barometer of that. You know, somebody did a sort of a, a certain type of song. La is La Bonita is a good version, no, good yeah. Yes. So that's a good way of sort of looking at it is that, you know, there was a number of songs that she did that, that came out and then all of a sudden there was a whole slew of songs that sounded similar. Yeah. It's like, can we add, can we give that 10% more mambo? <laughs> the mambo count needs increasing. <laughs> it's just a massive dial that says mambo on their on their machine. <laughs> mambo, salsa. It's, all, yeah, it's, just got, it's a careful balance. Give that 10% yes, more mambo. The, just, yes, yes. Right, slowly increase the salsa. Increase the salsa. <laughs> oh, no, that's too much and sauce. Too much sauce. Hang on, pass a doble now. Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, 10% more mambo is how you get rid of the ants. <laughs> <laughs> 10% more mambo sounds like an instruction from a porn movie. And not, not, it's not something I want to be involved in. Absolutely. Hey, hey, Barry Footlong, can you give it so, a 10% more mambo? <laughs> <laughs> Denise, he's going to need to give you 10% more mambo. Are you okay with that? <laughs> Oh, if I must. If I must. 10%, you say? Uh, yeah, we'll pay you more. We'll pay both of you more. Uh, this it's not a conversation weird. I've ever had, by the way. I'm just paraphrasing what you it might like sound a, like. You I'm sound no like expert. A, you sound like an expert in that, Graham. <laughs> I'm no expert. I just want to make sure that's very clear. Uh, number 30, uh, Lost in You. Uh, no, sorry, number 28, sorry, Life at a Top People's Health Farm by the Style Council. I hate them so yeah. much, I wanted to skip over them. Yeah. Yeah, I hate, I hate you. I don't like him. Awful. No, awful. Uh, number 30 is Lost in You by Rod Stewart. Uh, now, I did think, was this Rod Stewart's attempt to get his version of Fantastic Voyage off the ground after really liking <laughs> Inner Space being lost in you? <laughs> God's sake. That is obscure, <laughs> even for you. 
it's where my brain it's, it's just where my brain went yeah did you watch the video of that i did not he i was is, having no the hair is in, the hair, his hair is incredible in that but he's also wearing a suit that's massively oversized i can't help but feel just you know buy a suit that's the right size you've got plenty of cash don't be stingy no he, he done, that was his thing wasn't it that's what kenny everett used to take the uh piss out of him for one it was his tight tight trousers well no it's not that it's tight it's too big oh it's too, too big, big. It's, it's, yeah he looks diminutive it's like he's in a sews a sews he's in a sews that's too size <laughs> he's in a size of suit that's two two sizes too big has he gone uh, yeah. sort of what's his face from talking heads is it that big yes yeah it's just a bit it's just his head looks makes his head and his body look small it's weird weird well it's not his hair though his hair looks massive he's got a massive hair but little head yeah was, they've backlit it it looks like a spiky tennis ball. That, that's because only part of the experiment of shrinking him down to fit in somebody else's worked. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? It didn't, it didn't shrink his hair, though. <laughs> you can't shrink it. They did. That's the thing. <laughs> his hair is shrunken. Good Lord. Yeah. Don't you know how I mean, big it, it was like, to start off with? It's, I don't know if it's an original song by Roger Stewart or not, because who can Probably tell not. nowadays? Probably, Probably not. Probably safe not. Number 38, The Lovers by Alexander O'Neill. Everything produced at this time sounds like this. It's the R&B computer stepped in. Yeah, the machine has started. Yeah, where it so, is whirring totally, away. Totally. Um, number forty-one, get it, Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson. Did you listen to this? No, I did not. No, I didn't get a chance. So, Any Stevie good? Wonder, Stevie Wonder, amazing vocals. Michael Jackson, dip, dip, all the way through. <laughs> Is that all he does? Uh, yeah, he's sounds, sounds, <laughs> got some Michael Jackson sings in that. It's sort of dib dibs. He dib dibs. Yeah, he doesn't sing. I don't know if he sings actual words or he just dib dibs. And he goes hee hee at the end of his dib dibs. Anyway, I'm just uh, if you want to do a Michael Jackson impersonation, just do three dib dibs and a hee hee, and you're away. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I asked for when I go to the sweet shop. <laughs> Anyway, that's the title of uh, Michael Jackson's autobiography as well. What, three dibs and a hee-hee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Or what I sell in my sweet... Because what I sell in my sweet shop has a whole different connotation. <laughs> it does, yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Careful now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, allegedly. You don't want to incur the wrath of uh, you know, the lawyers and all yeah, that. Of the dib-dibs. Number 44, The Valley Road by Bruce Hornsby and the Range. <laughs> <laughs> that picture you posted of this band made me laugh. For a long time, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, there's lots of round hair in the guitar section of this band. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a screenshot of the round hair. Got, we're going to have to post that image in the show notes <laughs> so people can see that. I don't know if images um, can actually carry into the show notes. It might have to be... Uh, we'll, we'll have to just, put, just post it into the... We'll have to find a way, but... Put it on the I, website I or something. It, it made me think of Campbell's meatballs. They've <laughs> <laughs> got meatball heads. Meatball hair. The hair is just a meatball. <laughs> yes. It's rounder in motion as well when you watch the video. It's like properly spheroid. Someone could play snooker with them. Spheroid meat hair. Oh, dear me. That's hilarious. That guy's hair is inexplicable. Not the strangest hair you're going to see, but, you know, they have got meatball hair. They have got did, you, meat... did you know anyone, just out of curiosity, did you know anyone who had that kind of hair at school? That sort of the way the hair would just been turned into a meatball. <laughs> I could prob- probably, I think if I think back. I, don't, I, I was trying I to think if remember. I knew anybody, but I don't remember anyone who had that kind of extreme meatball head. I think this was just a sole province of sort of MOR American sort of guitar players. Yeah, absolutely. Just solid, massive meat hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, like really tightly packed bolognese without it's, the pasta. Just, honestly, that is, you know, that's where they work for Campbell's meatballs. That is clearly meatball hair. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, probably. But, you know, <laughs> they look happy. You can just see Bruce Hornsby poking over his shoulder there in that image as well. Um, can, yeah. uh, no- <laughs> just a gross. He, car- he carries him in a little backpack. <laughs> <laughs> Hiya. 
chewing on the default hair. He's <laughs> only little. Keeps me going for hours while I play on my tiny piano. We, no, you've got to post that image now. <laughs> it makes no sense. This Poor section. diminutive little Bruce there in, in his backpack. <laughs> Let me out. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I can't unsee that now. <laughs> nope. Oh, dear. Right, okay. Sorry. Uh, number 61, uh, Little 15, <laughs> Little Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> Hiya. <laughs> get, back in, get back in there. Not coming out of there yet. <clears throat> number 61 is Little 15 by Depeche Mode. Yeah, uh, one I recall. This, no, this was weird. This is the fourth single from the sixth studio album, Music for the Massage. Not m- Massage, sorry. Not really one that I recall, but, and I know it's a strange choice for single, because single, um, it was never intended to be a single in fact it barely made it onto the album but a french record label wanted to release the song as a single so and it became a popular import fair enough the weird fair song enough. it's a very strange yeah, it song was very strange it, it was stuck, a bit weird you're not the one that stuck in my head ever um finally last week 29th of may in at number 22 doctor in the tardis by the time lords mm. so bill drummond aka king boy d and jimmy county aka rockman rock otherwise known as the klf furthermore known as the jams and mm-hmm. um, this was the pre-klf stuff so this was the time lords um obviously it's a mixture of doctor who theme and um a gary glitter song um i'm not sure which gary glitter song. does it matter which gary glitter song it was it was the one that's they all sound the kind of the same wasn't it um, and the leader is it hey rock and roll in it rock and roll hey yeah. I, think. I don't know maybe that's the lyrics of the time lord version anyway it's that mixed together as much as i love the klf I think this is a bit of an early nightmare, although it was essentially released to finance later releases and prove a point. Um, and it honed their methodology for hit making, which obviously led to other stuff, which is a lot better. Um, but this yeah. is a bit shit all said and done. Um, and it's also pre-Gary Glitter's invention because it was later re-released because he, I think he either threatened to sue them or take them to court or wanted his share of the royalties or whatever, because then it became, I think, Gary Glitter and the Time Lords or something like that. And, and he was in the video shouting, Doctor Who, hey! And then everything kind of went a bit wrong. Yes, yeah. Yes, it did. Um, less said about Gary Glitter, the better. The better. Uh, number 23, I saw him standing there um, by Tiffany. Yeah, Dull Beatles cover. Not really yeah, good. There. Number 25, Another Weekend. <laughs> it's another weekend. It's another song by Five Star. <laughs> yep. Uh, this time, again, channeling the Jacksons. Um, and with this one, when I looked at the video, I was surprised it didn't lead to a lawsuit. Why? Because it sounds exactly... They look, they're look. looking more and more like Janet Jackson and the Jacksons. I mean, not oh, just okay. in terms of you know influenced by their dressing like them, hairstyles like them. They were going to a talented group but they are very much now almost you know it's almost to the point of parody yeah and the song sounds exactly like the kind of Janet Jackson kind of sound it sounds if you imagine Janet Jackson songs in your head you're probably hearing that kind of orchestral hit type sound yeah yeah um, then it's that it's, okay. it's basically that so surprised me really. okay. uh, number 32 Wild World by Maxi Priest yeah reggae version of a Cat Stevens track alright fair enough number 36 Moonchild uh, by Fields of the Nephilim um, more goth than goth this is it's a great song though I do like this song but um, yeah as you've right noted how much more goth could this be none more goth None more goth. Um, I couldn't understand a single word he said. At one no. point, I'm pretty sure he said monoplastic bogies. <laughs> yeah, he probably did. But, <laughs> Who knows? I don't get it, but yeah, crazy good You know, instrumentation on that. Just yeah. no idea what he's mumbling about, but it sounds, it's a all, sounds pretty bleak. Yeah. Uh, it is good. And it is good. Uh, number 39, I'm real! Ah! By James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is. There's no denying that. He yeah, is. Can't argue with that was. fact. Uh, number 59, Rhythm of Love by the Scorpions. Um, <laughs> I've noted there are things in life I am thankful I do not know, and the Scorpions' Rhythm of Love is one of those. This video had me actually crying with laughter. I didn't look at the video. I didn't want to, but I'm going to yeah, look at these posts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, ah! 
<laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put the uh, we'll post the video in the uh, show notes for this. Um, now, I think they've invented a new hairstyle there. I think that is technically um, that is a flat top mullet. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. <laughs> so the video is ridiculous, crazy in every respect. It's as you would imagine it would be. Um, the band on stage doing their thing interspersed with really overtly sexualized images of women doing yeah. crawling around on all fours. There's an image where there's one point in the video where they're just, there's two, basically two women in bikinis just bent over with the bums in the air near the drum kit. I'm looking there's at loads of that right in now. They're, like, what is they're meant, to, they're meant to be Amazons, believe it or not. And they're, they actually, they perform to them. The Amazons are in a crowd fighting each other. Um, and I'm surprised they're not just trying to kill each other to get out of the, whatever contract <laughs> they managed to get themselves into. <laughs> Um, bear in mind that the you know the lead singer looks like Frankenstein lives, um, and the uh, guitarist looks like a, a clearly a, some kind of porn star. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You know, his name's R- Randy Guthrow, I think, or something. I made that up, not really. Um, but the main woman in it, who's in the video, because the video for this starts off with a spaceship landing in a really bad animated slash CG sequence, which you need to see. Um, okay, the main woman in it then appears walking around, unzipping her outfit, getting a shower, and all the usual things you'd expect to see. She's actually the woman that plays the killer in See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Oh, right, um, okay. So, and that's the same woman that gets, steps out of the shower naked, sort half naked in the film, and then Gene Wilder you know, says, stick him up, and he's got his hand in his trousers, and then when he takes his hand away, he's still got the gun sticking out, and it's, yes. he's obviously got a big guard on. Yeah. Yes. So that's, you know, funny moment but that's yeah that's you know that's it that's who she is so. yeah well not but great I, I, that hair. On, which, the hair <laughs> is extraordinary and that's not the that's not the only hair that's just what i captured how what, more hair in what, that when you go like if you i mean he's obviously i mean he must have gone to the hairdressers because it's short on top so yeah or the barbers what do you ask for you ask for a king charles <laughs> Spaniel. <laughs> yeah, because he looks like a King Charles Spaniel. He does, yeah. That's not um, that's not hair on the side of his head, that's his ears. Oh. He's just got really hairy, long ears. <laughs> how much backlight is on those other two as well? I know, and how much pouty-pouty can one guy do? Look at the difference between those two images of that other guy. I know, it's, it's, well, I'm not looking at them anymore. They make, they make me feel all kinds of what wrong. Uh, no, finally. You know, if, if you like to see lots of naked women, that, well, not semi-naked women, that video's full of it. It's very sexist stuff. Not very nice. Uh, finally, um, number 88 is Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Yeah, yeah. Do you like that song? Um, it's okay. Um, I thought there's a few of these. I think Michelle Shock might have been the one she might have been. I can't remember. There was Tanita Tikram, Tracy Chapman, um, things like that sort of thing, which I think all came in on the back of Suzanne Vega. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I obviously, Suzanne Vega was about Tracy but, Chapman, but, yeah. but that that kind of solo female artist guitar, I think. Yeah, you know, I mean. I remember Tracy Chapman, but not for this song. I remember Sorry more than I remember Fast Car, but Fast Car has been covered and covered and covered and covered and played and played and played way more than Sorry is all I have to say. Yeah, I remember that. I do remember Fast really good, Car. That's though. a really good song by Tracy Chapman. But yeah, I remember Fast Car. I just remembered Sorry more because I think it's a nicer song. There's nothing fast about Fast Car, though, is there? No, she sings it in a slow way. We got a fast car. I've got a ticket. It's not that fast, is it? Speed it up. Up the tempo of that car a little bit. Come on. <laughs> and then, ironically, there's a newer version of that. You know, in that new way, they release songs where someone's who can sing in a really weird kind of, We've got a fast car. I've got a ticket to anywhere. Like that. You can't, like slow that. This, you can't make this into a slow, they slow have, down version. They have. It's, it's a sort of, they've slowed it to Christmas advert speed. Oh, God. Disastrous, isn't it? I know. Terrible. 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 Nothing, nothing makes a sad song worse than slowing it down to the point when you want to kill yourself. That's not, <laughs> nobody wants that. 
No, Ron. Very soon mm. we'll be getting slowed down versions of the slowed down version. Yes. And be so, so by slow then, the, um, each yeah. song will be taking like three years to listen to. Or maybe they'll speed some of the old ones up. So they'll start, they'll go in reverse. So, you know, that <laughs> Tinita Tickerum song will speed up. And the <laughs> Twisting My Sobriety, where it was called. <laughs> Twisting My Sobriety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, that's about, the George Foreman version. Hey. George Foreman. George Foreman. <laughs> That'd be great. Sing like that. <laughs> Twisting My, twisty my <laughs> Bottomless Grill. <laughs> George, who is it, George? George Formby. Like George Formby. George Formby. I said that last time. <laughs> it did. doesn't matter. For me, they're one in the same. Hey, when I'm Window wh- cleaner turned boxer. All good. <laughs> when I'm grilling steaks. <laughs> <laughs> if you could see what I could see. <laughs> Twisted your sobriety. Anyway. Exactly. These things write themselves. All we just need to do is resurrect George Formby and give him a, give him a banjo. Resurrect George Formby. <laughs> Oh God, it's all gone wrong. Give George Foreman a banjo to do some Foreman. George Foreman covers. Yeah, get George, because we say get George Foreman, give him a banjo. Can you do George Foreman covers? He can now. He don't, he look, you look now like him, but off you go. There's some stars in their eyes. I'm a cook. <laughs> all right, George, who are you going to be? Tonight I'm going to be George Formby. You look now like him, but off you go then. <laughs> this week's stars with eyes. Oh dear! Right there we go. There that's, we go. God. that's the singles. That's the singles for May 1988. Um, it was a lengthy, lengthy, lengthy old pump. A lot of singles there. We're going to go away, take a quick break, um, and we'll be back after this, where we have four more games still to get through for this episode. So please keep on listening. Or go. <laughs> You're listening to KAB Radio. <laughs> I will get those and put them on the end of that. Da-da-da. <laughs> Graham, here's a shout out for one of our sponsors' books The Case of the Notorious Roboticist. Based on the award winning screenplay? Exactly. Better than being based on a soundtrack, though, right? Indeed. Now, Evil Isadora is a genius when it comes to programming AI. So who's going to stop her building the next Skynet? Moroz. He's an all-round nice guy who just wants equality. If you'd returned your Knight Rider tape to him for a refund back in the day, yeah, we would have done it. That is nice. I also hear he likes to listen to albums full of guitar solos only to relax. No wonder. No, we don't. No. No, you're just trying to wind me up. It's a bit like Isadora does to Moroz. Yet then she has the audacity to ask him to get her off a murder charge. Did she do it? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> don't know, did she? <laughs> did she do it, Dodgers? Can we, uh, can we find out? <laughs> find out in the case of the notorious roboticist by David Hearn. Available from Amazon as a book, on Kindle, or as an audio bread. <laughs> Good old audio breads. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. I mean audio book, sorry. Oh, that's not half as good. And we are back after that lengthy singles session. Let's get into uh, four games that we have remaining for this episode. And the first one of those is The Revenge of Doe, or Akonoi 2, I guess, to you and me. So yes, The Revenge of Doe. Doe is back, and he wants 
revenge. A year on from Arkanoid and the and another stupid plot is fed to us in order to somehow justify another breakout clone. So from the back of one box, because I found two boxes with different <laughs> different stories. Ooh. So the first one, eons ago, you battered Doe into an intergalactic pulp and escaped, but a scrap of Doe's core energy survived, and now Doe's hurtling towards you across space and time in the Zorg, spelt X-O-R-G, a huge spaceship that's crashed into our universe from an unknown dimension. Use your ultra-fast reflexes and intense concentration to get to the core of the Zorg without pounding your ship to interstellar scrap. Alternatively, eons have passed, yet despite the apparent, apparent annihilation in the original Arkanoid game, dimension-controlling force Doe has come back to life, and occupying the huge spacecraft Zag, spelt Z-A-R-G, not Zorg, spelt as X-O-R-G, has entered our universe. Arkanoid-type space fighter Mixtech runs through long-forgotten computer data until it finds the answer to this threat. Vaus 2 is launched and speeds towards the threatening alien presence before it can e- extract its revenge, the revenge of Doe. <laughs> I don't know what any of that means. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, clear, everyone. Go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. Zag, Zorg, Vaus, what? Just, it's just words. No. It's more breakout in the mold of last year's Arkanoid. There's probably not a lot to say about this. This was released by Imagine. It was coded by Alan Short. Graphics by Steve Wahid and music by Jonathan Dunn. So this is the usual Imagine conversion stalwarts with games like Athena, Combat School, Green Beret, Comic Bakery, Rambo, Terra Cresta, Pulse, and Platoon in their various resumes resumes so far. So some good, some bad, but it's our usual lot of Imagine, really. So, you know, conversion is probably in good hands. You can play this in a number of ways when it boots up. You can allow up to four players. Control is by either joystick, keyboard, or even mouse, which I have read is the best way to play this. Makes it much more responsive than the digital input of the joystick. Unfortunately, though, I could not get that mode working, so I leave it up to people who say it is. I had to play with a joystick, I'm afraid. Pressing the fire button gets you into the game, and from here, it looks like a slightly snappier-looking Arkanoid. Yeah, if you remember what Arkanoid looks like and it looks like that the bat is at the bottom of the screen in classic breakout fashion none of your side bats and the like here the top section of the screen is made up of bricks ripe for the smashing there are various types of bricks to hit basic colored ones will be destroyed with one hit metallic bricks take a couple of hits there are respawning bricks that take two hits to destroy and then come back after a couple of seconds and finally, there are moving bricks, which never seem to be destroyed. I couldn't destroy them anyway. The aim of the game is to clear the screen of all destructible bricks. And once done, gateways open on either side of the screen at the bottom, allowing you to navigate to the next level of your choice. There are 64 screens to complete, I think, compared to the original 32. And should you do that, then you are a better player than I, as I could only get about four screens in before my three lives run out. At times, bricks will release power-ups, and these range from Extendo Bat, Shrinko Bat, Double O Bat, the ability to fire lasers, Twino Bat, Illusiono Bat. I'm just, I'm just. That's my name from. That travels behind you. Destructo Ball, which just plows through bricks without bouncing off them. Extra lives. Multi Ball and Super Multi Ball, with loads of balls happen and they go crazy. And you, you can get Super Multi Ball with the Destructo Ball, and it's just all hell breaks loose at that point. Trying to sort of keep keep your eye on it. It's very impressive. None of this slows down or anything. This is all really good. And just when when it all kicks off, it's like, wow, oh my God, there's loads going on. Bricks get destroyed all over the place. So pretty good, really. There are probably others as well, but I can't remember them. From the top of the screen, annoying enemies come floating in, getting in the way of your ball and just generally being a nuisance. Kind of like well, like we saw in the original Arkanoid, like we then saw in games like Krakow and Traz and, and all those kind of ones. And that's it, really. It's more Arkanoid. It's more Breakout. If you like that, you haven't had your fill of Breakout games yet with Arkanoid, Krakow, Traz, that Sido Breakout, what was it, Jinx? 
Was it Jinx and others that are probably forgotten? You, you probably yeah, like this. Yeah, a few of them, isn't there? Yeah, you probably like this. If you if you want more breakout, it's more breakout. The visuals are good. Everything moves smoothly. The high score entry is that vector thing that games are using at the moment, which I think you know either they've used the code from uh, what was that one we saw last time? Firefly had the same vector. Yeah, yeah. Name input. We've Vect, seen it yeah. in another one before as well. So they're using that using that here as well. The high score entry is that vector. Yeah, at the moment, the music sound effects are decent enough. Jonathan Dunpiece. It looks and plays well. It's just more arkanoid it's just a refined souped up version of arkanoid really you know and that's what it, that's what it comes down to so it all depends on your tolerance for bat and brick bashing as to how much you will like this it's a solid conversion i can see why it got 89 percent. maybe it's full price or not quite it's 895 it's usual imagine price so not quite a tenner it's 895 nine quid but you know i was done with it after a few plays i think i you know i need a break <laughs> from breakout clones i think we've looked at quite a lot recently so i don't know is there as much mileage in this once you get past something like traz i don't know has everything been wrung out of the genre at this point is there anything much more to add it's just another one it may be you know zap said it was the best one probably maybe arguably is Traz better who knows this is a more sort of standard basic uh breakout type game but back at the bottom bricks at the top rather than your side on stuff where you're all over the place like Traz. so if that's your sort of thing if you like that more sort of thing this is probably going to be your bag but it's more arkanoid it's the sequel. All the fancy trappings of eons and zags and zorgs and whatever coming along and bouses don't change anything. It's just more arkanoid. If you like it, you will like this. That's pretty much. There's not much more to say about this, really. Is there? I don't know. What did you think? No, um, it's. A, I think it's a good game. All said and done. Yeah, it is. Not a lot we can say about it though. It's a continuation of a successful idea with some neat touches, interesting control options, of course, with the mouse being on there. Nice enough tap music. Not quite what I expected, but interesting. Good graphics. All works nicely. Good options. Controls well. It's breakout game and okay it's a solid bug-free extension of arkanoid in the world of breakout games this is probably a good one <laughs> so yeah exactly okay <laughs> but it's uh just an extension of that if you like those sort of games you're going to dig it it's a good one but there's not a lot you can say more about it it's just you know it's a good one of those yeah, i enjoyed it <laughs> yeah well programmed <laughs> well it. made yeah. looks nice all solid yeah. no bugs that i could see all works well there's a lot moving around on screen some clever coding but it's the break. It's breakout. Um, yeah, it doesn't deviate from you know the things that it should deviate from. It's all good. No, um, there you go. That's uh, Revenge of Doe, Arkanoid Two. Just go listen to our Arkanoid review from whenever we did that a while back. Similar sort of thing to be said. I think there you go. That's that one done. Um, let's move along and into our next one. Graham, sabotage. Listen up, y'all. This is sabotage. This is from Zeppelin Games, coded by Jason Fox, graphics by Adam Gilmore and Flynn McGill. Would name that. And the musician is Adam Gilmore. Flynn McGill, yeah. Um, this is, uh, maybe he's a relation to Jimmy McGill. It's like Slipping Jimmy. Might um, be. This is the same people that made Zybex, I think, isn't it? Um, uh, I'm not so, sure. Sure, I thought it was Zybex people. Anyway. Um, so from the cassette box, I'm going to just read the basics of this, and then I'll go into some a little bit more. Uh, it says, Sabotage is a fast and furious shoot 'em up in the best tradition. The graphics mm-hmm. are simply superb, and the gameplay has many fine flourishes. This is written by the same guy that gave double low three and a half his gadgets. I'm sure about it. <laughs> yeah, probably. As a highly regarded mercenary, your task is to see off a fleet of Marodian aliens attacking your planet. You are not alone, though. There are some rebels in the alien camp whose blueprints to the plans of the alien mothership will allow you to destroy it and its evil onslaught once and for all. That's it. That's the premise. Of the game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Pretty much does exactly that. So in essence, some random planet because, you know, your planet is being attacked by aliens. And again, luckily, the code to the mothership's destruct system. 
And I've just made a note. Did they not try zero, 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 destruct zero, just in case it might work? You never know. Um, scattered across other eight sectors, eight sectors of the home world, and hence the eight levels. You've got to shoot your way through a scrolling landscape. This is a top-down shooty type thing. Collecting the odd shield boost or speed boost, because that's the only two upgrades you get. Um, defeat the end of level Guardian, which you won't do because you won't get there. And collect the blueprints, which you'll never see because you're never going to get there. Um, do this eight times and you've done it. Are we all good on the plan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, it's not no. good. It's too hard. <laughs> too difficult impossible this game's impossible <laughs> your ship is always slow and the aliens are really are much faster than you and you don't stand a cat and else chance you'd be dead within seconds of starting the level i mean seconds yep. and that repeatedly you control the game with a joystick but your movement is horrifically slow and it doesn't really speed up even with the speed up so you're just going to keep on dying which is kind of depressing this is just a, a shoot up death simulation graphically it's not terrible terrible crappy screenshot in zap doesn't really help because it's kind of off black and white it's all broken it's weird isn't it yeah but the design is kind of standard shoot em up fodder base relief graphics harsh shadowing and shading with harsh shadows bitty blobby anomalous sprites they're not bad but they're not great you just won't see much of it because it's so hard so impossibly difficult sound and music quite above average too but you know we've been down this well-trodden difficulty path before with these games you know i'm not saying make these games easy but with this one in particular you've got absolutely no chance whatsoever none it's simply you cannot move quick enough to get out of the way of the aliens in any meaningful way and even if you get past the first wave they, they get faster as you go further in so you've got no chance you've absolutely got no chance not a cat and else chance so even at a budget price this is just it's a push because just don't assume that just layering in stupid difficulty means that you know this makes this a good game and i'm surprised because zybex wasn't anything like that so no not a fan of this at all didn't really enjoy anything. I, didn't get, I couldn't get anywhere in it. I mean, the front end of it, I suppose, is okay. The music's all right. Adam Gilmore does a good tune when he wants to. But um, there's just so much so much difficulty that it's just pointless. It becomes, you know, I just died so quickly and so much. I'm like, well, I don't want to play this. I don't want to play it at all. So I didn't. Um, I'm just, I suppose, the only saving grace is that there's three quid. But why release a game that's like this? I don't get it. I don't get why you do it. I mean, did you get anywhere in it? I couldn't. No, no. It's from Zeppelin Games. So it's the same people. It's the same company at release Ibex. It's not the same people who made it though. All the right. only person that has similar on it is uh, the musician guy. Um, right. What's his name? Adam, well, Adam Gilmore. This is too hard anyway. Too difficult. No, no fun. What about you? you, you Jason Fox and Flynn McGill never did anything ever again. No, I'm surprised there. Yeah, what shrieking madness of hell has this been spawned from? These are not waves to be fought, but annoying sprites from the pits of the damned. What game starts off with four bouncing enemies that are almost impossible to kill, then have nothing for ages whilst you get a shield, but there's nothing to shield you from, then have boring bouncing asteroids, and then should you make it that far, a nightmare worm type thing filled with rotating colours. Ah, oh, no, just make this stop. We've berated you as before with not giving you the tools and firepower and speed to deal with what comes at you, but this takes the crown, I think. It's utterly ridiculous in every respect. Loads of options on that front title screen. There's loads of things to click and press and whatever. And the music's pretty good, actually, yeah. The visuals are that bas-relief budget style, although I hate the sprites, the thick, black-outlined horrors. The game itself is just a horror show demonstrating a huge lack of care, attention, and playtesting. What a massive bag of ass, even for three quid. Yep, couldn't agree more. Dreadful. One of the worst, again, another one of the worst things to play because it's unplayable. Yeah, it's not it's nice, utterly, not good. If you move to the left when the game starts, you're instantly dead. Just dead. Yep, straight away. Boom, dead. Yeah. It's like, hey, you can't, no, just ridiculous. This has not been play tested. This has not been played. They thought there's no, it's not made. It's just filled with crap. I mean, you, you, you does that big start come up? And quite often, you won't even get to the word start. And then it does that thing as well when you die, puts you right back at the beginning to face those horrors again if you were lucky enough to get past them the first time. Yeah, nightmarish sabotage. What did it call sabotage? I don't know. What a crap thing this was. The only thing it sabotages is you from wanting yeah. to enjoy it. 
and your Commodore 64. Yep. Does something bad to it. Bad. All right, yeah, there we go. That's two quick reviews. One really good, one utter crap. Let's yep. move along. We've got two left. Um, and this is Bedlam. Bedlam. Bedlam, I tell you, Graham. Bedlam. This is from Go Software, mm. and it's Bedlam. Uh, what we have here is another in the long line. So it's second, two in a row, long line of vertical scrolling shooters. But this one does try and do things a little differently. Okay, so yeah, let's see if this uh, see what it, what it's like. This was produced by Greg Barnett, coded by Trevor Narudin and Nigel Spencer, and visuals by Russell Compt. Greg Barnett and Russell Compt are veterans of Melbourne House, working on Exploding Fist and all manner of other titles. And that's because this was developed by Beam Software. Um, so oh, who did all those Melbourne House games, but have obviously gone elsewhere now for publishing help, because uh, obviously this was published by Go. So whether Melbourne House are... I think they're still around at this point, but obviously Beam Software have taken their taken their work elsewhere. Yeah, taking their ball back, yeah. To yeah anyway, Bedlam starts off quite nicely. Well animated logo swooshing in, complete with the light yeah, swooping across like it. That. And a little glint in the corner. Really nice. I was like, oh that's quite cool. This looks yeah, all right. It was cool. was a very cool start that. Yeah. The music, I don't know who did it, is decent enough. It's okay. And the presentation to this feels nice. It's um, everything about this wraparound is really good. It's fast to get into. Demo mode scrolls across various levels in the game, kind of like what we saw in IO, um, letting you know what's coming. So good for an end. Really good for an end to this. Nice. You can play this one or two player, and in two player, uh, both play at the same time. So it's kind of an early co-op game. But I did notice that there's a thing about this. It, it was I know uh, two player at the same time is doable in uh, shoot 'em up construction kit. And to be fair, it's kind of does feel like something that could possibly be made in shoot up construction kit. Yeah, I wondered that. Funnily enough, I've written the exact same thing. By one section of it. There's one section of it that couldn't have been. So I wonder whether there's something about this that is, because it does feel a little bit like that. But, you know, maybe there's something under the hood. I don't know. Anyway, there's attempts at power like Starfield, because you've got static stars in the back and moving ones at the front. So there's, a, there's an attempt, you know, something there. Stab of the fire button gets you quickly into the game. If there's one thing this game does right, it's pace. It never feels slow or like it's taking too long to do anything. Restarting is fast, dying is fast. In fact, games of this are faster over quickly. But once you get used to it, there's a decent, if a little basic shooter here. So what do you have to do? It's another test simulation. And to graduate from some stellar Imperium as fully-fledged starfighters, you must overcome all 16 levels of the X-12 flight simulator, which is better known as Bedlam. And that's it, really. That's That's all you need. That's the rationale for this entire game. Fly over levels, shoot everything you can, get through them if you can. There are ground emplacements to blast. Uh, some of these are nicely animated radar dishes. Everything is drawn in a very strong, little basic bass relief style, but there's, the graphics are all right in this. I thought I quite liked them. There are also enemies that come swooping in. And this is where one of the game's nicer touches comes into play. If you wipe out an entire wave of enemies, it grants you temporary immunity, so you get a shield. So it actually benefits you in a gameplay sense to try and take them all out. And that's quite nice. There's a bit of risk and reward there, which is, which is okay. And if you're playing it in two-player, then it's the player who blasts the last one that gets the benefit. So you need to fight out a little between yourselves because although you cannot shoot each other, you can shunt each other around the screen. Um, so it does have that element of two-player head-to-head sort of knockabout nature about it while still rewarding cooperation. That's that's quite unusual and quite, quite interesting to see. It's like this bit of a kind of like what you're knocking each other about in like a Mario, those 2D Mario games and stuff. So there's that. That's quite quite interesting. Good idea to incorporate. There are also four bonus levels to discover as you pr- pass through the levels. If you see a glowing letter T um, on the background, you fly into it, you're teleported into flying over a pinball table. It's kind of weird, but okay. Shooting random. stuff to rack up points. Yeah, really random. It's an unusual thing to incorporate. I'm not sure it entirely works, but it does break up the, the space shooting to some degree. 
Um, you can hold down fire to shoot, and you shoot at a decent rate with more than a single bullet on screen. So again, that's nice to see. So so often we'd be you know bemoan the just one bullet on screen at a time games just because they're so annoying. This has a good fire rate, I thought. There are also other things to fly over. M's give you a mine. L's give you an extra life. And eyes give you more invulnerability than you get from destroying waves of enemies. At the end of every fourth level, you get a boss that needs to be destroyed to continue. Should you die, and you will, you can press the Commodore key to restart where you left off, which is another good nod to player enjoyment. So as long as you just keep playing it, just press the Commodore key, you can start on that level again. So if you got to level three, press the Commodore key, you start there again. Instead of press, don't press the fire button, press the Commodore key. So it's kind of like a restart, and that's quite... That's nice. I like that about this. We've seen a lot worse shooters than this, but like a lot of these, it's not without its issues. The main thing is the lack of any kind of meaningful power-ups. That's a bit of an oversight. By this point, we're used to Delta, Nemesis, things like that, showing that shooters need to make the player feel as if they are growing to meet the challenge ahead. This is very flat in that regard, as you never get anything but what beyond what you start with so there's never it doesn't ever feel like you're ramping up power to meet the oncoming threat it just gets harder and you don't get more powerful to sort of combat it so that point in nemesis where you're firing out double lasers and ripple lasers and you've got power and you've got control things and you feel all, all kinds of awesome that's really missing from this and i think now at this point in 1988 we we are kind of wanting that in our shooters the, you know the top tier shooters the ones we really want to play a lot of so that's a bit missing the controls are also a bit odd. You bounce off things. So there's a bit too much inertia. I think this is because of the knocking at knockabout being able to fly into each other and bounce each other around. But it also sort of goes about in odd ways as well. So you can sort of bounce off some of the scenery and some of it will kill you. Uh, but also, should you go to the edge of the screen and then let go, it bounces you back in slightly. And quite often, it would bounce me back in into an oncoming wave of enemies when I tried to go around the side of them and I would die. And, and that was annoying. So that, you know, that that felt um don't really need to know why it needed to do that so yeah so that and the lack of any real progression it sort of stops this from being as good as it could have been the flatness is where the suck um the super construction kit comparison comes in the visuals and constant scrolling they bring that utility to mind and whilst it's not the worst shoot we've seen it feels like it's not lived up to its potential i'm not sure it needed the pinball stuff if i'm honest if they have dropped that and I think built in a decent weapons progression system, this would have been much better and more enjoyable for the player and then would have been closer to just finding its £10 price tag. I mean, it's £10. Uh, it's a bit pricey for what is a really kind of flat shoot up construction kit alike, you know, space shooter. Um, yeah. So, you know, so this is expensive. Then you could probably create this yourself with a bit of time and perseverance on shoot up construction or a version of this very similar to this. There's not much near that I'm not seeing that couldn't be done with that beyond those sort of mines or power-ups. But the mines activate immediately if you fly over them. They just destroy everything on things. So there's nothing to sort of hoard or keep. So there's no strategy to this beyond just try and survive. And so it, it, it feels a little bit limp. It got 40%, maybe a bit harsh, maybe. I mean, it's around about average, this. Um, it could have been better with a few tweaks and sort of nods and sort of not putting in that uh, pinball stuff because it's, like I said, it's really well presented. It's fast and snappy. When you die and it starts again, it's quick. And that's one of the things we do moan. I mean, we played that. What was that one where whenever you died, it tallied everything up? Was that that task three? Task three did that, yeah. Yeah, and it was like bloody annoying. It's like 15 seconds between lives, let alone goes. Um, this is quick. It's like, do, 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 you're in. You're in and you go in, you go and you die. Okay, you start again. Do, do. And you do, the levels, the sections aren't that long, so it's quite easy to, to get through them a bit. And, and you can start battering away at certain points and having that continue option is nice. It's just a bit on the flat side. It just needed something a bit more, I think, by 1988 to really lift it up. 
And I think it could have had it, but it's just missing here. And I think that's what stopped it from being any more than just sort of average. What about you? Uh, I felt like I've got deja vu. Another base reliefy top-down shooter variant. This one has some kind of peculiar pinball sections or follows the very similar kind of pattern otherwise. Yeah. Very good presentation, good sound, you know, but otherwise just kind of forgettable. I've seen so many of these now. Yeah. Also quite difficult again, but not as maybe as punishing as others, but just a bit forgettable, a bit boring, but the same. I've kind of... There's so many of these now that to be really, to stick out, you've got to do something really exceptional. And this one doesn't really do that. It's good no. in some ways, but not exceptional. Um, and I, my rem- remaining thought about this was it's still remarkable to think that in amongst all of the top versions of this, Warhawk is still one of the better ones. And that was released ages ago. So it just yeah. tells you that they're not pushing the envelope on these and trying to put a pinball in it was stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I just thought, I just, you know, I don't know if this is, it's not, a, it's not a terrible, terrible game, but, you know, it is, does have its... You know, po- positives. It's just a bit forgettable and a bit bland and a bit. I've seen it all before, and there's nothing, nothing memorable about it. So it was just, but it's expensive. No, yeah. there's cheaper budget variants that are better shooters than this. So yeah, what was those other ones? Things like Hades Nebula and all those kind of ones like this. It's just yeah. in, another in those just that another line one of those. Of- yeah, no. Task three was a you know a version of this kind of thing almost, and there's just loads of them. Loads. Yeah, of them. there are loads. We did say what the end of 1985. Where's all the shooters? And now, like, yeah, now well, we've got we've more than we can up. cope with. But, but the um, trouble is they don't none of them seem to do the one thing that they should all do which is take a look at the games that are out there and just you know f- focus on the things that make them good and just make something like that don't keep making the same mistakes there's yeah. enough arcade games out there to learn from as well now if it but yeah, I suppose it's three years old now by this point yeah you know I mean, this isn't going to stop but there's probably loads more of these um but this isn't a great one it's not a terrible one it's just 40 percent I'd have given it slightly more than 40 percent I think that's a bit harsh. I don't know, maybe because the ante on it is a bit higher. Their production values are a bit higher for this. I but it doesn't so well. warrant that kind of price tag. This is a good would have been a good budget game, I think. Yes. Um, but you know, I think it deserves over fifty, you know, fifty, sixty percent. It's just it's average, but it's not below average, which they've indicated. So no, yeah. it's just yeah, no. It's what it it is. was all right. <laughs> it's all right. It was all right. Yeah, exactly. And not what more to say about it. It's just flat. I think flat. It feels flat. It doesn't really yeah. do, do, yeah. There's never any peaks and troughs to it, is there? It never lifts. Never, no. You never feel powerful, which you want to do yeah, at some point in a shooter. Yeah, anyway, there dull. we go. Bedlam. Certainly want Bedlam. That was the other thing. No. Um, let's move along. We've got one more game left for this episode. And Graham, time to don your helmet again, get your knee pads on, your yeah, elbow pads, get out on the course and tell us what it's like in the life of a professional BMX simulator. Do you know, I'm getting really fed up of the words BMX and simulator in variations <laughs> here. This is Codemasters Plus. It is. I think the first Codemasters Plus release, so it's four ninety nine, you know, slightly more than the usual. This was coded by Richard Darling, of course. Title screen was Steve Day or Stee or Ste. Um, musician is Matt Gray. And this was a 76% score, which is an interesting score for this. Um, it's a decent title screen on this. It's all right. Another, uh, and I've put this as the thumping Hubbard impersonating soundtrack from Matt Gray, because it kind of sounds more like Rob Hubbard, really, than Matt Gray. But it's still good. It's all good. It just sounds, it reminded me of, you know, I think he was channeling Hubbard at this point. Um, there's no surprises here, really. It's an extension of BMX Simulator. Surprise! Yeah. Um, there are two skill level modes here, though, normal and expert. And there's three styles, of course, dirt biking, quarry racing, and desert racing. Although I've written desert racing, which is a whole different kind of thing. 
So you choose those options and you load them up. Um, you'll get to the initial starting screen where you can begin the race once it loads, um, which is an impressive and crowded affair, actually, because um, this is uh, a four-player gaming opportunity between Spike, Tom, Melissa, and Bud. You press the space bar to choose the combination that you want. So you can obviously one-player, two-player, three-player, four-player go. If you do choose four-player, two people are joysticks and uh, two people are keyboards. So there you go. Yeah. Fire and joystick is speed up. Left and right on the joystick is that rotational kind of, you know, rotate you. Not rotate from the middle, but rotate you round. So that's how you turn. Um, and around the track you go. You'll be presented with a range of tracks um, to race around in the top-down view. Um, and obviously those have sort of... Um, Corners, jumps, tr- bumpy bits, things to navigate and get around, up more obstacle and stuff like that. But the little BMX dirt tracks, essentially. So you have to sort of scoot your way around. A bit like a sort of super sprint type idea. Um, and similar to the way that BMX Simulator worked. Only you've got a bit more, you know, anti here, a bit more graphics and more to load and more levels and things. So you can load in more tracks, uh, I guess, from the options. And there's quite a bit more to go at in this in terms of. BMX simulation. Um, the graphics are well realised. I think I'd, I think they're like. I think it's safe to say. I think they're nicely drawn and shaded. Actually, the backgrounds and the tracks here they do look quite nice. It does feel quite polished considering the price as well. But so did BMX Simulator. Um, there's things to like in here. Tracks are quite well designed, and I say the graphics are colourful. This movement is quite speedy, and the usual level of trickery. So getting around the tracks is no easy thing. Lots of tracks too. Nice little shortcuts and things you can try on them. Little bump, say bumpy bits and. There's quite the Kelsey's are quite nicely designed. The pace of the game is quite good. If you fall off the bike, you're straight back on it and up again, and you know moving around. It's no you don't get necessarily get hung up on things easily. But it, you know one of the my bugbears of these games is that when you get trapped, sometimes you keep falling off and you keep falling off and you keep falling off. That doesn't always happen in this. It's not as bad. It does happen, but it's not as bad. And the four player idea would be a lot of fun. I think um, I, I never played it with four people. I never played it with two people. I played it with just me, which was a bit bleak. But uh, there you go, um, <laughs> bleak, bleak because of a you know a niggle. Um, the expert mode also features parameters for choosing your tire size, your chain wheel size, and um, the collision is harder because you can actually climb into the other bikes and this. I don't think you can in normal mode, and the time is shorter mm-hmm. that you've got as well. At the end of the race, which is a nice feature, you get an action replay, which you can, which is always a fun thing in multiplayer mode. Any game that has that with when you've got multiplayers playing, it's fun because you can go back. And go, oh, look at that! It's hilarious. It's good, good for that. And it's got yeah, a slow-mo yeah. option as well, which is nice. It's a really nice little feature that. There's a lot to like. Um, if you like BMX Simulator, well, then there's more. This is just more of that with a bit more, you know, added vroom vroom and some more players. You're gonna like this. I thought it was okay. It's well, it's really well put together. I mean, it's got that, you know, it's got some nice polish to this. The controls are the same as before, and they remain somewhat annoying. So that has the same issues. I tend to, you tend to fly around a little bit. You don't. It's it's hard to control your speed in this game. In an, it, it would have, could have just done with some kind of indication of how fast you're actually going, other than the visual cue of your sprite turbo in across the screen. Yeah. So a little power bar or a little pedal speed indicator or just something that would have given it so that you could sort of gauge the amount of power you would need. And, and that would have really helped. Um, but it doesn't have that. Um, so you can you tend to sort of fly around the scenery a bit and you don't always feel like you're wholly in control of the bike, which is a bit of a problem in this. Um, it is responsive, but until you get used to that, it's a frustration point because you will keep tumbling off the sides, going into the scenery, falling off your bike. Nice little animation when you fall off, but you'll, you know, when the f- as much as in multiplayer option, you'll all be doing that. Fine. You play this in one player option um, and you come off, that's it. You're going to lose the race. There's no way you can win because the, the, the CPU bikes don't tend to make any mistakes whatsoever, which is another bugbear, really. So I don't know. It's quite good in multiplayer, I suppose, if you do that. I'm not sure how much more mileage you're going to get. If you like BMX Simulator and that's your thing, you're going to dig this. I thought it still, you know, had a couple of the issues that were prevalent in the first BMX Simulator. 
know, unwinnable CPUs if you make one mistake, um, which is a bit silly because you can't catch up. And um, that haunt, so that haunted the original game. It's not full price though, is it? This is a lot for your money. It has to be said. It's, you know, there's quite a lot here. There's a lot more tracks. There's a lot more to go at. It's multiplayer and all of those things. That's all good. Um, and there's loads of you know Matt Gray music to go out here. There's tons of it oozing music because all over the place. Everything seems to emit some kind of music in this. Really good though, good music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it um, it's okay for, for for the for the price. If you like BMX Simulator, this would be a logical thing to go out and buy. So you know you can sort of see where the audience is for it. But um, I was never that massive a fan of BMX Simulator, so. I don't know. What about you? I I mean, I played a lot of BMX Simulator back then. I bought it for two quid and, and really liked it and played a lot of this, but I never played this one. And I have to say, I didn't really care for this very much. And I went and, while I played this, I, did, I went and took the other one on as well. And we'll, we'll come to some of the differences between the pair of them beyond just the sort of, you know, the, what this has added to it. Um, I think something's been lost from the first game, which offered a decent take on the Super Sprint model to this. There's something something not right. The character sprites are worse, for one thing. They're really rubbish in this. They're just single, almost single colour type things. Um, and I really didn't like them. In the others, they've got a bit more colour to them and they're a bit more... A bit more Definition in terms of the payoff for there being four of controlled, maybe. Well, maybe, but there's still only a single sprite, aren't they? So they could have had some color on the sprite. Uh, I don't know. Who knows what the crazy is going on here? Um, So, and it still does that annoying thing where if you crash, it starts you facing backwards for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Don't understand why it does that. It did that in the first game, but it didn't seem quite as annoying. Maybe because in this, the AI is better. And the first one, you could, you know, they weren't perfect, but they were. But this, this just seemed like like savants. Just they were just off. Uh, the inclusion of a four player mode is interesting, though. But I can't say I fancy two players hunched over a keyboard while those with joysticks get to lord it over them as some yeah. kind of BMX joystick king. Cluster, cluster kind of weird. thing. It wouldn't work. It really wouldn't. But for you know, for five pound though, there is a lot of clever presentation around the edges of this. I would have liked um, to be able to choose my rider for my input because it's set isn't it you just if you're playing yeah, joystick, if you go to one, one player, player you only get the you only get the third one along don't you yeah that's it so i would have liked to like just say right who's plus one and which one do you want i, I don't know just a thing mm. maybe i don't know why but it seems an odd thing to have overlooked so i'm not quite sure why i didn't do that um so yeah and there's lots of courses and stuff there's the three different types of courses in there. there's the quarry there's the desert and there's the dirt there's all kinds of different stuff i mean they just it's a palette swap as far as I could make out, I couldn't really make much difference in the actual handling, uh, if I'm perfectly honest, playing through them all. And the expert yeah, mode's a nice addition, you know, with the things you can tweak around and stuff like that, but just don't feel as satisfying as the original. And I think it's the loss of the pedal sounds from the first one. Because the first one had pedal sounds, that little... As you were pedaling. I remember that. Yeah, they do, because I checked, because I played this first one. Yeah, I believe you, I just don't remember it. And I thought, what's missing? Because the racing in this is really quiet. I know there's loads of music about it, but the actual in-game racing, apart from when you crash, is pretty much silent, apart from when you finish and it goes, or or something, some weird noise emits. But it's totally silent otherwise. But in the first one, there's a little, you know, as you're starting to pedal up, it goes, and it's like a little pedal sound as you, as you, as you wheels wearing around. And it adds to just a little bit of, like you were saying, it adds a feeling of how fast you're going because the faster that, yeah, that would need goes, it. you know how fast you are going. So you'll get that feedback from the sound. In this, there is no feedback into how fast you're going apart from the visual representation. So it's hard to tell whether, you, whether you're going too fast or slow. And you can kind of judge your sound by how fast that pedal is going. And that's why the first one worked better, in my opinion. That's why I think anyway. And I did check. I sort of went back and I had a look and I had a play. I went, yes, it's this that that feedback is missing in the second one. Um, it's needed. Yeah, it really is. And I think you hit the head, you hit the nail on the head. I was trying to think what it was adding, but you're right. It's that it's that knowledge of pace and speed at which you go in. The speed at which that 
is going faster tells you how fast you're going. You know, simple thing, but works. I did also have one instance in this where the AI totally lost it um, and just got stuck between two obstacles, just going back and forth and crashing into them. It just it was there oh, for weird. ages. Yeah, it was just lost it. it. Was I can't. It was one of the quarry pits, quarry ones, and it just got stuck and it was just sort of turned around and rode in some tires, <laughs> then got back up and then just rode diagonally back across and rode into some some other thing, fell off that, and just kept going back and forth between them. And just had to sit there and wait until the sort of timer elapsed and then it finished kind of strange so it took ages anyway yeah for, for a fiver though this is okay might be a bit of a laugh it just lacks that feedback and i think that was really important to the actual playing of this to give you some feedback to how it plays but there's a lot in it but you know it's fiver 76 percent, probably about right four player games are few and far between have we actually seen any apart from the four player four you know uh, all at once four player games have we actually seen any of them yet have we seen any maybe is there any others that spring to mind it might be the first one it might be I'm sure, I think there was something else we saw that might have been I remember four seeing player. four player Gauntlet, yeah. Gauntlet didn't manage four player did it no it didn't I mean this is obviously single screen so it didn't but um, no maybe the first one anyway there we go it's okay this five quid but for me two quid for the original was always better and I think this lost something in that in that department there we go anything else you want to add no, no, I think that's it. I think, uh, like you said, um, I don't. I suppose if you want more tracks, you'd buy this, wouldn't you? Because it's got more tracks. But I think if you're losing things out, I don't know. I don't know how much fun you're going to get out of it. I don't yeah, know. music's I mean, right, yeah. Like I said, I, I was always a fan of the original, but I didn't play this one and, and go and play it now. It's like play the original. But there you go. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. Um, we've had eight games this week uh, in our music. So we've had Cybernoid, which we appreciate, but it's not for us, I think is right to say. Uh, Time Fighter, which we don't appreciate, and it's not for anyone, um, I think is right to say. <laughs> Ain't Fright- <that> the truth. <laughs> Frightmare, which was a, a terrible nightmare or a cruel dream or something or other, or whatever it was, a uh, Ron Seal type game. Uh, the Chernobyl Syndrome, which was terrifying, a terrifying nightmare, um, but ultimately <laughs> because it's just a job uh the revenge of doe more arachnoid if you like your breakout stuff this is a good version of breakout so you know that's quite good uh sabotage which was you know, sabotage sabotrap crap awful awful terrible bedlam which was a flat shooter with some really really nice presentation around the edges and similarly professional bmx simulator again lots of presentation around the edges and some nice touches and some clever coding and some four player and reaction replays but probably in my opinion alone not as good as that very first one um mm. so there we go yeah that's it so that's our uh, games this week um next week what have we got coming up next week we continue We've got another eight games coming up next week um as we continue our trek through may 1988 we've got samurai warrior the battles of usagi yajimbo which hopefully right. that see how that stands up gunsmoke ucm which unfortunately i am sad to report does not stand for underpanted computer man or whatever <laughs> that was what we thought it might be it, was, it might be that unfortunately it actually stands for ultimate combat mission Aww. which is rubbish really isn't it underpanted <laughs> com- you know, computer man is way better but there we go gb air rally i've got that coming up card sharks who knows rockford atf and finally next week rolling thunder 
Mm. see how that turns out so that's it that's it for this week it just leads me to say if you wish to support the podcast in a financial sense you can do that by heading over to patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past one pound is the lower tier and that helps us out as as ever and it's you know chuck us a quid a month if you can it's greatly appreciated thank you very much if you want the full fat experience that is the equivalent of four pound fifty gets you access to the discord early access to ad free versions of the podcast they come out on the friday not the monday you get to ask us stuff for our ask us anything podcast when we do them and any other bonus stuff that we do as well and you get it all early uh, and first before it goes into the live feeds and also helps us out massively with server costs and rental costs and all those kind of things that we you know we have to play for and coke and hookers and all that kind of stuff have you got anything you wish to add graham no i don't no 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 i think we've uh, suffered enough with some of this lot it's not been a good week has it it's not been a good intro to, to may no, it hasn't. I mean, there are better things to come, I think, but I think it's just, I don't know. Um, there just seems to be some, it's, I'm getting to the niggles now. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 a bit, I'm, it, I'm a bit annoyed that you get good games that are just, they're self-sabotaging almost. Um, you know, Cybernoid should, it should be one of the greats with a soundtrack that's like that and the graphics look like that. And it just feels like they shoot themselves in the foot with some silly, silly choices. Yeah. Such a shame. And I Chernobyl, know. well, that's just a bleak, is that, the, that kind of the bleakest game of all time? Uh... Yeah, there was one other one that bleats out. I think Andy Cap. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, between it's the two, kind of for bleak. a fun weekend, aren't you? You think about <laughs> what, it. You know. What are you doing this weekend? I'm off out to the cabin to play Chernobyl and Andy Cap. Yeah. All right. Will we see you at the after? <laughs> I'm just going to nip out there first and take the uh, shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll just go and hide that. We don't want you in there. Let's go and hide the bullets. Uh, yeah, but yeah, pretty bleak. Um, hopefully next week should be a bit more fun. Samurai Warrior, hoping stands up. GBA Rally could be okay. Car Chat's got a good one. Rolling Thunder, who knows? There should be a bit of laugh to be had. Yeah, early with I mean, some of these. I am. I have to say, I am concerned about Samurai Warrior. I am concerned. Really? Yes. Okay, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So that's it. I don't think we've got anything more to add. We're going to get away now and go and do yep. something else instead. We've done all of our Patreon, you know, stuff. We have. We've said everything we need to say. We're not going yeah, to bore you it. anymore. We're all good. So well. um, hopefully we'll see you again next week. As ever, this week, I have been Adrian Mills. And I've been Graham Raddings for all weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you have. Um, and you have been listening to Campbell's Meatballs Haircuts. Um, <laughs> and com. we hope to see you again next week which is in seven days time which in JLI speak is <laughs> so goodbye and we'll see you next week thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games as well as the music films and TV from around the 1980s driven of course by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time we will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flakey Bits 2.0 Studio. 
All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.